Attention Rant Army, this is Jose Mangan from SiriusXM, Liquid Metal and Octane. It's December, and you know what that means. Christmas time is here again. So listen along as the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast review 1999's Stoner Classic <laughs> Detroit Rock City. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning head, turning ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting, mouthpiece of the Southeast, Brandon A. Lane bringing you a new edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. <clears throat> me, 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 me. On the third year of Christmas, Paul Stanley gave to me a ticket to Detroit Rock City. Ran Army, we survived Thanksgiving, and now it's time to rock and roll over to December just in time to exchange some Christmas gifts. We here at the podcast were gifted that awesome intro from the metal ambassador himself, host of Sirius XM's Liquid Metal, Jose Mangan. Jose's a great guy, and I want all of you out there in the Rant Army to give him a follow on social media at Jose Mangan. Now, once you've followed him, you've got to do the same for us. The Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Rants Black Lodge. And, of course, do not forget to follow us on all the podcast providers we're available on. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Player FM, iHeartRadio, and don't forget to stop by our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. 2019 may be coming to a close, but before we celebrate a hard rockin' new year, let's take a trip back to 1978, albeit through the lens of 1999's stoner comedy classic, Detroit Rock City. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Brain dead. Hello. I'm Chantelle, the assistant manager of Brain Dead Network. Brain Dead Network is a film and podcast promotion company that is dedicated in bringing you the best content. We promote and market films from talented filmmakers, and we also work with podcasts to give them more of an audience. If you would like to know more about Brain Dead Network, please visit our website, braindeadnetwork.home.blog, and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out our awesome podcasts, B-Movie Drive-In, Beyond the Crypt, Rants from the Black Lodge, and Hellhounds of Horror. Come visit us if you dare. Brain dead. Alright, Rant Army, we are gathered around the Kissmas Yuletide log. We're fresh out of cold gin, but we do have a couple of cans of Internight Pilsner, Metallica's new beer. We're going to drink a couple of these in solidarity for our good friend James Hetfield, who just hint, went the back. The day before they came here. Yeah. <laughs> right, the day right. before the beer launched. Oh, man. Well, this is for you, Alcoholica. <laughs> uh, you've guessed it. We're here to celebrate Christmas 3 with a full rundown of the 1999 stoner sex comedy. The last of its kind. The last of its kind. 
the great Detroit Rock City. So let's I just hit been, the ground running. I have been waiting to do this specific movie since he decided he wanted to start doing a podcast. Well, I'm this is ready this, for this. This almost was episode three, and I'm glad we waited till now to do it. And just think about this. This is episode 29. We've been doing this for quite a while now. All right, let's hit the ground running. Detroit Rock City was released August 13th, 1999. This year marks the 20th anniversary of that film. Um, How old were you 20 years ago? I was nine. Yeah, you're a little baby. You are nothing but a little baby. I know exactly where I was when I saw it and everything. It was so vivid, so... Well, how did? What were the circumstances of you seeing it? Uh, my mom absolutely hated Kiss and thought they were the devil. So my dad had uh, went out and rented the movie whenever it came out because I was not allowed to go see it in theaters because my dad was a truck driver at the time, so he was always gone. But whenever we went over, you know, he'd always let us rent movies and video games. So he didn't let me choose. He chose this for me and brought it home and changed my life. We never, we didn't take it back. We kept the video. You know, oddly enough, um, this uh, has kind of become a Thanksgiving tradition more so than a Christmas tradition because um, I watch this almost every year on Thanksgiving and I don't really know why. It's not even a conscious effort. I just end up watching it on Thanksgiving. So, regardless of the day, um, it's always uh, a celebration for me to check it out. I saw it in the theater. I don't believe the the opening night, but I want to say it may have been the second weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was completely empty in there, as recognized by the gross of this movie, which uh, worldwide made $5.8 million. That, that, so that's pretty low, even by today's standards, especially when you take into consideration the budget of this movie was $17 million. When you take into consideration the advertising budget, it's closer to thirty-four or thirty-five million. So, so yeah, it's Charlie's Angels. Ooh, today. ooh, sick burn. Hot. <laughs> the difference being is that this they is actually a good movie. They, yeah, this is ah! a very tough. This is a very good movie. Well, I can just see people uh, keyboard wor- worrying uh, right now. Bring on Tommy. At Rance Black Lodge, everybody hate tweets. Um, I, I saw this movie pretty pretty upfront. Um, I, I loved it from the get go. Uh, I got this on VHS when it was mm-hmm. very first released, and uh, eventually upgraded to a DVD copy. However, the gentleman sitting across from me, Mister Fat Fuck Scott, thanks to me, has a Blu-ray copy. You want to regale them with the, the <laughs> infuriating story of how you got that? Yeah. You came in. Do you have a Blu-ray copy? Because I've been looking for it forever. They are very hard to find on Blu-ray out in the wild, and I don't like to order stuff online if I can help it. And Brandy comes over. If we're gonna have like a movie day or whatever, and he's like, "Do you have no, 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 my kid's birthday? No, no. This was on Halloween night. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. I thought it was. Re- oh, it was. It was because we were watching uh, a couple yeah. of the later Hellraiser films. Yeah. You randomly showed up, and you're like, do you have it on Blu-ray? And I was like, no, it's impossible to find. You're like, oh, well, I just saw it at the dollar store, like, literally ten minutes away from my house. Yeah, but you want to tell them why this became such an ordeal. Because my wife is blind. <laughs> she walked in, and Brandon told us exactly what to say, and go in to the right, it's right there on an end cap. This went on for 30 minutes, back and forth of her calling, and then eventually video calling. And, yeah, uh, and I'm like telling her, hey, go to the right. <laughs> no, you dumbass, go to the right. You're on the, the right. fucking right, Brent. Brent, go to the right. <laughs> but, fi- but finally she found it and uh, and all was, was well with the universe. It was at the front and everything. It wasn't even hidden behind anything is what makes it awesome. I love my wife. I mean, I looked at it and, and I thought, like, surely Scott has this on Blu-ray. And then I left and I started thinking, like, you know what? He and I 
or I should just say you and I, because I'm staring at you right now. Nope. We had just watched this on your son's birthday. Mm-hmm. And I remember you making a comment, like, something along the lines of, like, I can never find this on Blu-ray. And then I was like, well, I guess I should mention it. And you're like, uh-uh. And like, well, uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly why I sound. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. I know, you, I know you like the back of my hand. <laughs> okay. I see it all the time, bobbing up and down on my dick. Oh. Uh, if you had to take if you if you had to guess, what would you think the uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score for Detroit Rock City is? Oh, thirty eight percent. It's actually higher, forty eight percent. But here's the here's the kicker though: the audience score eighty two percent. I can believe that. I I'm actually surprised because one of critics ever given Kiss anything. Oh, that's true. Anything that's true. It's the Kiss Army keeps man. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is like Peter Travers and you know those shitty you know people that that just revile <coughs> comedy like in any form. If it wow. if it isn't a Wes Anderson comedy, I'm not, not hating. By it, the way, I love Wes Anderson. Comedy. Not only is it lowbrow comedy, it's also Kiss, yeah. and that's two things that critics just absolutely despise. Um. IMDb has it a little more favorably, 6.9 out of 10. Mm. Metacritic, on the other hand, 33%, so fuck you, Metacritic. Oh, yeah. But Google users, which I always find the most reliable and the ones that most parallel how I usually feel about a movie, they got it right on the head, 95%. Holy hell. Yeah. (laughs) I must have used the gut more often. Come yeah, I, I I mean, I, it's kind of an interesting thing to go down the line and see the difference of opinion from these different sites. Usually but, if a movie's panned, it's panned. And usually if it's you know loved and regaled and everything, it's usually mass appeal. But well, I mean, would this you, is a Would you consider movie. this a cult film? Uh, uh, 20 years, and I still watch it basically once every six months. So I, to I, me it is. Because I don't ever um, think... I don't ever hear people talking I'm biased, about though. Well, that's true. I'm biased <laughs> as well, and I'm I'm, f- I'm fully willing to uh, accept that. The thing is, though, when I think about cult films, I, I don't really hear this brought up a lot. No. But being that you and I are both like deep rooted in like the Kiss fandom, I do see this movie brought up a lot in those groups, just not in like movie groups. So that is weird. So I, you know, I, I, I don't know that if it's just singular to Kiss fans or if this has a broader appeal. I, you know, I'm not really sure. But the data right here, Google users, I mean, they can't all be Kiss fans. No. Well, <laughs> it's uh, we're a small core, but we're very, very vocal. So it's well, possible. Well, I mean, if that's the case, then uh, I don't know. And, I, I, I would say, yeah, I'll say it's a cult film. It's over 20 years old now, and it's. Still got a following the people that watch it, so cult film. People love this movie. It's just not one you think of off the top of your head. Well, we don't have uh, a uh, Fat Tony's hit list, because uh, nobody dies in this movie, so that's a big goose egg on that. However, we've been in short supply, a good uh, degree of uh, boobage in the last few movies we've seen, but this movie did not disappoint. On Stank Dick Eddie's Titty Tally, we have at least five pairs of juicy boobies. Um, I counted five, but there uh, there could be more because it's such a big party scene. Just when uh, I believe it's uh, Giuseppe Andrews' character who plays Lex, he's trying to get backstage and he's evading party or the the hot tub scene. Yeah, and uh, there's there's at least five in the in the hot tub, but there's there may be more out in the crowd. The one that what does matter is the one at the end during the concert scene when she takes off her bra and throws it at Paul, and Paul catches it and she 
nice shot of her. Holy Lord. She was well endowed. Okay, well, let's Lord make, braced her. Let's make that six, because I didn't even <clears throat> notice her when I rewatched oh, the movie. So oh, there you yeah. go. Six. That's a good, uh, good even number. <laughs> For a nine-year-old Scott, that was a very important <laughs> moment. <laughs> For a 35-year-old Brandon, it's a very important <laughs> moment. I already made a point to tell you that, like, I'm seeing a lot of the back of my hand that I know so much <laughs> like you. <laughs> it's a lonely year. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of years, um, let's talk about the year of 1999. And a little bit later in the in the podcast, we're going to talk about the year of 19, uh, 1978, which the this movie takes place in. Mm-hmm. But 1999 is generally hailed as one of the greatest, if not the greatest year in cinema history. Now, whether or not I agree with that or you agree with that, um, let's go down the list of the big movies that came out that year. Well, you know why, right? Why? Because of the year 2000. I think it was going to end, man. Oh. We had to get all the good stuff out then. <laughs> well, listen, I, I hate the 90s for, for the most part. They're great 90s movies, but if you take... If you were to list like all the movies that came out in the nineties, like it, it's it's a very it's a smaller percentage than say the seventies. Yeah, well, most of our favorite years aren't even in the nineties, but yeah. So well, I didn't even look there really to. I mean, I did. I tr- I checked the seventies, eighties, and nineties by year, but I was just kind of like the nineties didn't speak to me, and I grew up in the nineties, didn't speak to me as much as the eighties and seventies did. Well, let's break it down. Let's uh, let's just go down the list. You <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, let's go down the list of the things that came out in 1999. Um, uh, let's start out. Fight Club. Mm. Yay or nay. Great movie. Oh, yeah. I don't remember Blu-ray. Um, I, it's one of the few movies that I think is actually better than the book. That's um, not... I wouldn't even argue against that at all. Chuck Palachinuk, is that his name? Chuck Palachinuk. Yeah, it's Palachinuk. Something like that. Sounds like a goddamn Canadian. He has a very strong core base. I'm sure they're going to send us hate emails too. Oh, that's not hating on his writing. I'm just, I just think the the swerve of the movie uh, makes a lot. It's 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 more easily digestible in a visual medium than on yeah. a you know. And you're reading the book, and it I don't know. You're you're approaching it from a different point of view than you are in a cinematic mm-hmm. sense. The Matrix. I think The Matrix is the most overrated piece of shit ever made. I love the first Matrix film. The second and third one are absolutely terrible. But yeah, but why? But I love anime. I grew up as an anime fan. That may be the difference. You don't like anime as much, but for me, that's a live-action anime. Okay, and in that regard, I'll give it to you. I'm it's fine with that. that. But but when it is hailed as being this, like, this stalwart <sighs> of great cinema, it looks... Awful. It's an ugly movie. It did not age well at all, visually. But for what it did at the time, it, it kind of opened people's eyes to like what we could do with CG and stuff to a certain level. And, and look how bad movies are now as a result. We're getting back to live action and stuff. Look at The Walking Dead still and can be. They're holding it strong, man. Okay. Well, as much as I love can be, I wouldn't use The Walking Dead as a. Hey, as that's a, a good way to mix the the. The real and the CG. I'm just, I'm just saying the show sucks now. Well, that's coming to an end for a reason. Uh, good. Um, American Beauty, uh, one of the best movies of the 90s. I know Kevin Spacey's kind of a hot button issue, Not you know, but um, he's he's fantastic in that movie. Um, uh, Minus Savari, talking about boobs. I mean, they're they're little. And it makes you feel like a weird perv, but she was legal at the time, so and I was a kid, so it's not really, it's not too crazy. I was I sixteen. Was actually, I was in high school when I first saw the movie, and which is, it's not one of those. It's 
oh, this looks good for a 10-year-old or something. So <laughs> I was a teenager when I found it, and I just bought it because of all the, you know, it's one of those movies you hear about it. Yeah, the awards for a reason. But differently than, like, The mm-hmm. Matrix, American Beauty it's is, is beautiful. Film. The cinematography is tremendous. It's got a they great They made a score. plastic bl- bag floating in the wind look cool. Okay. 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 That's that's probably one of the small negatives I have against the movie. No. That's, that's, some, that's artsy as crap. That is artsy as crap. And funny. Yeah, okay. <laughs> fine. Uh, Toy Story 2. Now, listen. I am not a huge Disney fan, but Toy Story 2 is one of the greatest movies ever made. Period. I saw all three Toy Story films in theater. And I'm, I'm not ashamed. I didn't see the most recent one, but the first three, those were those I, were important to my childhood. I, re- I refuse to watch Toy Story 4. I've heard it's I good. Haven't. I've heard it's good, but Toy Story 3 ended perfectly. There's no reason. No to Andy. Can... No interest in me in that. I was Andy. Oh. Those were my toys. Um, being John Malkovich, uh, definitely offbeat, uh, tonally more consistent with a movie you would see these days. Yeah. Um, a little bit ahead of time for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, I don't know if you saw this, but there is a movie coming out where, uh, fuck, um, Nicolas Cage is going to play Nicolas Cage in a movie about it's Nicolas very Cage. Meta, yes. Yeah, and after I read that description, I'm like, well, that's just being John Malkovich. If John Malkovich well, played John Malkovich. <laughs> Being Nicolas Cage is going to be a lot more out there. I'm, I'm sure. I don't. Yeah, pretty not. It's probably not going to be held to the same standard as being John Malkovich is going to be. Uh, um, so, shout out to our good friends at Central Cinema. They've uh, got an awesome new shirt that um, has the uh, crazed look of Nicolas Cage from The Vampire's <laughs> Kiss. Um, it's just yeah, that's <laughs> tremendous. Um, ch- check them out. Uh, they do good stuff. Okay, um, this is the divisive one for me. The Sixth Sense. Yay nay. I saw it as it like first came out and didn't know anything, and so that did blow my mind. But it's not a movie I can go back and rewatch. So I, uh... here, once you know the twist, there's really no point in watching it again. Here, here's my criticism of the Sixth Sense. I didn't see it cold. I knew there was a twist, and I figured it out. And I hate to know people are going to listen to that. Like, oh yeah, whatever. You know me. Yeah. If anybody can figure stupid, obvious shit out, who who is? And it? once you know the twist, and you, even if you don't, you know what to look for. Or anything, it's pretty damn obvious. But you'd figure crap. But it's not as obvious as like Fight Club was. Fight Club had a cool twist, and yeah. I did not see that shit coming. Yeah. And I can still go back and watch that movie compared to The Sixth Sense, where I don't. It's not worth the two hours of investment again. Uh, here's the thing: like, I feel like if it had been a like a half an hour, or even like an hour long episode of the Twilight Zone, the great, movie, yeah. great stuff. Too much padding. Too, too much, much padding, padding for for a full length movie. Um, here's a movie that doesn't have uh, too much padding: The Green Mile. That movie will break your fucking heart. I quoted that <laughs> King Diamond the other day. Walking out of the bathroom, there's like a line of people, and I was walking by, and everybody was walking the green mile, walking the green mile. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's that. Oh, I, I don't like watching that movie. Uh, speaking of I bitch, cry a lot in movies, guys, a lot. Yo, yeah, I guess because you're a bitch. But I know. Let's uh, let's trade off um, uh, pissing each other off for just a second. You got to see King Diamond. I did not. That's something you'll be able to lord over me forever. However, um, this past oh, week I got to meet uh, Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith. They were both really cool. And actually, Jay and I had a conversation about King Diamond because I was wearing my King Diamond beanie. It's a great picture. You need to like post it on the Black Lodge if you haven't already. Because it's a great picture. Um, still pissed off at you for it, but I got to bow before the king. 
in a packed look. Like, it was the most beautiful place I'd ever been in, too. Like, it was an actual opera. Yeah, I saw, the, I saw the pictures. It was it was tremendous. <sighs> All right, back to, the, back to our 1999 list. The Talented Mr. Ripley. Not really my cup of tea, but it is incredibly well acted. <sighs> Never seen it. Um, well, it's worth... No interest. It's worth at least one, one viewing. Uh, here's one that uh, you need multiple viewings to get a uh, a good experience from uh, to really dig into all the the nooks and crannies. Eyes Wide Shut, which was the second to last film Mm-mm. that Stanley Kubrick made, um, coming to the Brain Dead Network in December. <coughs> you'll actually get to uh, read a review I will be writing about this movie. Now, being oh, that wow. I'm a big David Lynch fan by proxy, I have to be a Kubrick fan. They're kind of like uh, apple and orange. Kubrick, I guess, probably more mainstream, has more mystique, but I'm going to dive deep into this and the symbolisms about Bohemian Grove, and there's a lot of good stuff to unpack from this movie. Please don't make me compare David Lynch and Kubrick. <laughs> they're, they're like different sides of the coin. Two yeah. sides of the coin to choose from. Unmasked, 1980, great album. I don't care what you it's think. It's a terrible album. I did almost <laughs> buy it on vinyl the other day, though. Got it for 25 bucks. Perfect. Um, great song, terrible album. Uh, that's, a, that's a that's an Ace song. Yes, it so, is. It's so beautiful too. Of course, it's going to be good. Ace was the best part toward the end of Downfall. I guess he was coming into his own as Gene was coming into his own, was trying to be an actor. Anyway, continue. <laughs> the Blair Witch Project, perhaps the most divisive <sighs> horror film ever made. I will regale you with the first time I saw this movie. I I, I bought into the hype. I saw the uh, the Sci Fi Channel documentary mm-hmm. that they made, and they're really selling Did you it. Go to as website a, and all that. I, I didn't have internet at the time, oh. but but the Blair Witch Project that that's something like I don't think this generation really understands of like how big it was. The closest may have been Paranormal Activity. Because it retook what they did and just did it again. Yeah, but I mean, it, but it, it was the it same. was that it viral was, marketing thing. It was, that, that may have been the very first viral marketing like that. Uh, it definitely was the first uh, movie that used um, online marketing they effectively. Took, maybe um, they just took what um, The Exorcist did. It's real, guys. It's real. This really happened. We promise. And then they just turned it up to eleven. You know, uh, I, I may be in the minority, um, but. I love Blair Witch 2, which everybody that movie hates. Awful. Oh my god. I, the goth chick. Um the that entire movie's terrible. The Wiccan chick that dances naked around oh, a, yeah, in a tree. Bad that, chick. That's good shit, man. But I, But I'll, it's not a good movie. It's a terrible movie. The, the thing walking backwards or whatever across the bridge, scary and all at that. The very Come least, on. At the very least, they tried. And that movie was fucked from the get-go because they had uh, so much interference from studio and... Uh, they should have just changed the name. Joe Berlinger. No. Well, here's the thing. Like, Joe Berlinger, who directed uh, the documentary um, about the West Memphis Three... Um, I'm blanking on the name of it off the top of my head. Um, Paradise Lost. Oh, um, yeah. They hired him, and he had a completely different take on it. And he wanted to do this like really cool satire about how media propels things. And that's more interesting to me because mm-hmm. I, I worked in the media at one point, and I can very easily see how things can be skewed. But let's get back to Blair Witch Project. First time you saw it, how did did you think it was effective? I was ten. I watched it with my dad, my aunt, my grandparents, and my sister, and my aunt lost her freaking mind and kept all the house lights on the rest of the night, and we lived like in uh, Cahutta, 
uh, Georgia, and it was like in the woods. And the only thing around was a damn train track, like 10 feet behind the damn house. And she, she was terrified. So by proxy saying an adult terrified made me terrified. <laughs> now, I went. And I didn't watch it again until I was a teenager, and I went back and watched it, and I was like, this is it? This this was it? I, I mean, it's cool for what it did. It made it did what clerks did. It made you know anybody can be a a filmmaker, anybody. But it's just uh, it has its place in history, but not for me. I think it has a great ending. Um, but man, you want to talk about padding? That is ninety percent padding. But that's a part of the charm of it because it was a more innocent time. So and slow. like you watch it in the context of nineteen ninety nine, it's probably an effective movie. But we've we've gone so much further than now that like a movie like that just doesn't have the same impact. However, the next movie on this list has so much impact for me. It's actually one of my all-time favorite movies. Michael Bay film? No, it's oh, not. Okay. It is not. Damn. However, we will uh, be listing a movie by Michael Bay Light, Stephen Summers, a little a little later <laughs> on this. Um, Magnolia, directed by uh, P.T. Anderson. Um, Never seen it. Oh, well, dude, you need to. It's one of the best cast ever for a movie. you got Philip Seymour Hoffman. Tom Cruise giving his absolute best performance. He's got one of my favorite... Uh, he's playing this kind of like uh, self-help guru. Basically, uh, would be the most hated person in America right now because he's all about like, you're a man, do manly things. And his catchphrase... That's toxic masculinity. Exactly. But his catchphrase <laughs> is, respect the cock. I'm watching it now. Um, oh my God. Not... Uh, fuck. Why well, can't I think of his name? Played Dewey Cox. <laughs> John C. Riley. John C. Riley, he's in it. Um, but it's just a really great ensemble cast, and it has this really weird apocalyptic ending where it rains frogs, and there's a lot more going on that I know the, the look on your face right now. You're like, what the fuck is this movie about? Like, I don't even want to spoil it. You just need okay. to watch Magnolia. it. Magnolia. Magnolia. It's a great movie. Alrighty. Um, as I mentioned, Stephen Summers, who is Michael Bay Light, who uh, ruined G.I. Joe for a generation. <laughs> Um, directed the Mummy, which to be fair is a is a fairly decent. I love that. It's a fun movie. It is a fun it's a movie. Fun, fun movie. But it is a very ugly CGI. Oh yeah, mess. it did not age well at all. But at the time, that sandstorm scared the shit out of me. It was awesome. The locusts. Seeing it in the theater was a pretty cool experience. Uh, the the damn the beetle thing that digs into the dude's skin that creeped me out. Like I'm cringing now just thinking about the beetle. Ah, I don't like it. But yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah, it did not age well. Um, other movies that uh, got released this year, Office Space, classic movie. Awesome. Um, Boys Don't Cry, which is probably more uh, of a subject matter that would be prevalent today about, um, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to remember who's in that movie. Um, it's, uh... Is that an Angelina Jolie film? No, okay. it's, um, God, I'm blanking on her name. I think of them. She's a she's she's trans and she's lit she's a she's born a girl but she's living as a boy. It's not something that would appeal to me. And she gets it's actually a really good movie. Um, it's based on a true story about Brandon Tina, who was actually Tina Brandon, but that's beside the point. I have Sleepaway Camp if I want to watch something about confusion. Oh, well, that's the best transvestite so, movie. Okay. Uh, that's what I got. Um, American Pie. Which I do I don't personally like, but I get why it was popular. It was Porky's for a new generation. Yeah, it's just not as good just as Porky's. No, well, that movie's more accepted than Porky's is now because Porky's went way over the top with it. Okay, yeah, so that's that's true. Um, it's Porky's Light. There the, you go. The Iron Giant, another incredible animated film. From I've the tried time. that movie too. 
Well, you cried. Vin Diesel was the man. South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Oh! Yeah, so fucking oh! good. That movie's still awesome. Uh, Austin Powers of Spy Shag Me, great sequel. Man on the Moon, which is one of my favorite uh, biopics about somebody. Um, Jim Carrey is a tour de force in that film. Watch the Andy, documentary as well. Andy Kaufman. Well, that makes him feel, look like a complete dick. But he's great in that movie. So, from that rundown, Ugh. you have sort of like a a more narrow view of like, why 1999? Holy crap, that was all 99? That's all 99. Wow! That Well, I wouldn't move. That, that is a great year. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not even all of them. I mean, there's just Galaxy Quest and Girl Interrupted oh. and Any Given Sunday, which has kind of been reduced in quality over the years uh, when Remember the, Remember the Titans came out. But great oh, movie, all, all the same. So I asked you to compile a list of like what you think is the greatest year in cinema, and I compiled one as well. Do you want to read off what what year did you pick? I was either going to go with 87, 94, or 74, and I ended up going with uh, 87. Well, I'll just tell you right now, 74 was my second choice, and I know exactly why it would have been your first choice. The Two great- words, Mel fucking Brooks. Oh, yeah. Amazing oh. Saddles, the most politically incorrect film. He really spoke himself and Young Frankenstein <laughs> that same year. Oh, shit, I didn't even... That is insane. I didn't even think about that, but yeah. Two number one crazy comedies that still hold up today in the same year. Nobody does that. 87, right off the top, you got Predator, one of the greatest action films of all time. Princess Bride, which is probably the greatest whimsical film ever. Uh, Lost Boys, Robocop. God, God weapon. No, 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 no. You can't, you can't just gloss over this. Robocop. Goddamn Robocop and Predator both came out in the same Lethal year. Lethal Weapon. My Man, favorite Lethal Lethal Cop movie. Fuck. Full Metal Jacket. Come on! It, it, uh, here, Do not talk down on Full Metal Jacket. I, I will not talk down on it. I will. I have the same... Two separate films. It's two separate yeah, films. I agree with that entirely. Boot Camp stuff is terrific. Yeah. Everything the second half is kind of lacking, but that first it's half... It's just like Stripes. Yeah. It's it's the non-funny version <laughs> of Stripes. I, I never put that together. Dirty Dancing, which you don't like, but I adore that film. Uh, the Untouchables. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Evil Dead 2. Okay, yeah, that's good stuff. Monster Squad, Good Morning Vietnam, Wall Street, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Hellraiser, Spaceballs, watch out! <laughs> Over the Top, come on! Nah, I'm not going to give... The best like, arm not, wrestling movie ever? I'm not going to give you Over running the Top. Running Man. I'll, I'll give you The Running Man. <laughs> oh, the Date, which could, you showed me recently. Yeah, good movie, but going back to The Running Man, um, I don't know the, the quote verbatim, but it has one of my favorite uh, Arnold lines where he's like, I hope you have enough room in your ass because I put the boot, put my boot there! <laughs> the Gate, which you recently showed me, and I love that film. Stephen Dorff, great movie. Overboard. With Kurt fucking Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell. What was it with uh, movies uh, in the like 80s and early 90s with uh, Kurt Russell playing characters that hung out on boats? I, and um, that's a good point. <laughs> or it, uh, this is a different t- su- uh, subject of topic. But what was up with him playing characters on boats and/or wearing eye patches? I like that. Too. <laughs> My would. last one from '87 that was worth mentioning to me: Hamburger Hill. Great, Way great, great left movie. turn off of like the gate and overboard, but Hamburger Hill's freaking incredible. It's, it's Really hard to watch in some parts, but an incredible yeah, film. Um, that's a whole lot. We could have an entire discussion about like war films oh. and and how war films are politically leaning now. I know that's sort of like inherent to them, but like I don't know. 
Um, it seems like you can't just have a war film and it be the good guys versus the bad guys anymore. It's got to be like, well, everybody's bad in war, blah, blah, blah. That's not the way it should be. Everybody's Robin! Side. You magnificent bastards! Have you read your book? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for my year, I picked 1982. Um, I almost picked 1974 because if I had to pick a, a decade that I prefer overall, it's going to be the 70s because I think the best cinematography is in the 70s. But when I looked narratively, like, 82 is just hard to ignore. Number one on this list, I believe, may be your number one or number two favorite film of all time, John Carpenter's The Thing. It is my absolute... Actually, um, the reason why I'm trying to get money for Christmas instead of anything else is because I'm going to make this the cover of The Thing. Well, people can't see what you're saying, and, uh, this. My tattoo, I'm getting a cover-up, and it's going to be literally just a whole forearm piece of that iconic image of the silhouette and the beams coming out and everything. That movie, other than Blazing Saddles, which is my number one film of all time, The Thing is number two, depending on the day, it is number one. It is, that's, I didn't even look at 1982 because you told me 82 was going to be your year. Yeah. So now we should have fought over it. Tough luck, bitch. You're a dick. (laughs) You're you're in contention, though. uh, 87's got some really good stuff. Um, I know this is a point of contention between you and I, but E.T., yeah. I don't give a fuck what you say. E.T. is one of the best movies yeah. ever made. It's really pretty, and it's really heartfelt and pushes all the gooey buttons, but it's the original idea of it being a scary movie was better. Okay? It's way better. I don't... Right. As, a, as somebody who saw it as a kid, there are that, parts of that movie that I are genuinely it. scary. There are parts, yes, but I saw it as a kid as well. I was part of the VHS era, thank you, <laughs> but it just... It's not as important to me as it is to you. Well, that's Child fair. The 80s. That's fair. Well, um, if you speak ill of the movie I'm about to mention, that you can just walk the fuck out of the out of the black light. Gone. <laughs> Blade Runner. I Ridley, watched that little the other day. Ridley Scott's masterpiece. I hold true that this is the most beautiful movie ever made. The cinematography has never been touched. I know what Christopher about Nolan. Forty nine. That movie's <laughs> nice looking too, but it, it, is, it. it is not the same. I am a Blade Runner purist. I have not even watched the sequel, and yeah. I don't think I will. You know why? Because I watched the sequel a long time ago. It was called Soldier. Soldier. Yeah, with and Kurt that Russell. Was awesome. Man, we're really bogging down on Kurt Russell today. I fucking love Kurt Russell. <laughs> who, the, who the fuck doesn't? He's Santa Claus now. He's a fucking. He's Wyatt Earp. Okay. God damn right. Oh. But yeah, Blade Runner, uh, I mentioned this on the last podcast, but um, there's a documentary called Dangerous Days about the making of Blade Runner. That is my all-time favorite documentary about the making of a movie. I would almost recommend it even higher than the movie itself because it will make you appreciate the movie so much more. Blade Runner, in its original form, the version with the narration, which makes it feel like a noir, not the final cut, not the ultimate edition or any of that stuff, the original... Cut. That's that's the one we I'm need talking. To, about. We need to do Blade Runner on in the Black Lodge at some point because that. Oh, it's very positive. I want to talk about it all day. There's there is a lot to unpack on that. Um, also, another uh, great film that kind of uh, crossed the the boundaries between you know kind of almost I, I hate to even call it a family friendly movie, but I mean it's the family fem- friendly version. Of horror, it's a type of horror film you can show your kids, and it's going to scare the shit out of them. But you know. And that being Poltergeist. Oh, PG-13. It's a PG-13 yeah. horror movie. Um, Which it should not have been. That movie was fucking terrifying well. to a child. <laughs> it's, it's a, actually, no, it's not PG-13. Because I thought it was PG-13. Is it? Is it I thought it was yes. PG. Because uh, I can't remember what... It was year. one of the first movies to ever get the PG-13. Is it? it may have been the first, actually. 
I remember seeing something about it recently. Because I was thinking that it was uh, 84 was the year that But they... the lack of blood and all that was somehow how they skimmed out of the R, but it was too much for little kids and PG. And so. It probably is PG-13. Either either or. It's a, it's a movie that you could show little kids, and it's probably going to affect them, but it's still a great movie across the board. I know there's a lot of argument of whether or not it actually was Spielberg directing or if it was Toby Hooper. Spoiler, it was Toby Hooper. Spielberg was not hardly ever on set. There's documented proof of this. Um, he probably His influence is definitely there, but... Um, those of you who want to shit on Toby Hooper and go fuck yourself because he was a great filmmaker in his own right. Um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. No, you're not a Star Trek fan, but that's that's the the best of the Star Trek films. I've watched Star Trek. I was raised in a very geeky family. I had an uncle who, um, I go to my stepdad's mom's and his brothers to live there and he loved Star Trek. So I grew up watching the films and that one's the one that's the most palatable. <laughs> Con! Uh, Con! Ricardo Montalban and his muscular chest. It's good stuff. I know it's a weird thing for me to point out, but he's tight. <laughs> he's tight like a tiger. Um, I think more of a mullet. Tron, um, not my cup of tea, yeah. but a legendary movie. Rocky Three. If you if you don't like Rocky Three, then <sighs> go fuck yourself. Hulk Hogan and Mr. Tiger. Hi, the fucking tiger. Come on with it. Uh, the Dark Crystal scared the fuck out of me as a kid. Um, my wife, one of my wife's favorite movies of all time. I think, like, top three. Oh, she well, never she, watches anything. Oh, well, so. she also... One of her favorite movies of all time is also Ninja Turtles 3, so fuck Breeze. Yeah. Um, her, uh... <laughs> Let's not start talking about Ninja Turtles, because we do fight on that one, too. Um, Conan the Barbarian. Great movie. Um, First Blood, which is in my top five mm. all-time favorites. Um, Tootsie, 48 Hours, Creep Show, Secret of Nam, Halloween 3, Tom Goddamn Atkins. I know everybody hates it, but it, it's it's a great movie. As is Friday the 13th Part 3, which came out in 83. Mm-hmm. Beastmaster, I'm sorry, 82. Um, Death Wish 2, which is a really underrated sequel. Slumber Party Massacre, Basket Case, Silent Rage with... Um, Goddamn Chuck Norris, where he, it's about an escape mental patient who's been uh, altered with technology, <coughs> and he fucking karate kicks and it's good shit, man. <laughs> Dar- Dario Argento's Tenebrae, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which as a kid, Mark Reynolds and Dolly Parton. I rented that movie thinking like, oh man, this is gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of sex in this movie. There is not. She sings Hard Candy Christmas <laughs> in that movie. Um, an officer and a gentleman, uh, Gandhi and. A movie that is the definition of what could never be made now, The Toy. Oh my god, Richard Pryor! That was my favorite Richard Pryor movie oh, yeah. growing up. All right, do you do you remember the premise of The Toy? Yes, it's about a rich guy who buys his son a black guy, and he makes him play with him, and it's awesome. Um, I love that movie. I grew uh, up watching that on VHS at my nanny's almost every weekend. It, it is a great movie that never could be made now because that of political correctness. It's a really good movie. Here's a here's a bit Which of trivia. Not to go with the end stuff. Oh man. Here's a, here's a bit of trivia about that movie. Scotty Schwartz, who plays the little kid, mm-hmm. he grew up to be a porn star. Doesn't that just shatter your sensibilities? <laughs> and and to beat all, he's redheaded. How many redheaded dudes do you know working in the porn industry? Good for him. I will say one last thing about the the toy. The scene where he falls in the lake and the piranhas attack him scared the shit out of me so bad when I was a kid. I was afraid to fall in my my mom and papa's pond. They didn't even have damn fish in it, but that's what in my head that when he came out with all his clothes torn to crap. I love Richard Pryor. 
Well, that's that's my wrap up of 1982. Uh, just from like what you laid out and what I laid out, I think both of our years argumentatively are better than 1999. We could spend all that many like to argue anyway. Well, so. you know, I know it's a subjective thing, and I'm not I'm not trying to say that my year is better than your year. I think just collectively, I think we can both agree that our year is the 80s better. Were incredible. Our year is better than 1999. Agree? Yeah. Okay. Fuck you, 1999. But let's take a trip back to 1973, and let's talk about Kiss before we get into the actual movie we're here to talk about tonight, 1999's Detroit Rock City. So in 1973, the remnants of what was left of a band called Wicked Lester, um, they picked up the uh, man who would eventually become known as the, uh, the Spaceman, Ace Fraley. And um, off of uh, a discussion they had with uh, Peter, who was in a band, I believe, called Lips. Peter um, had put in a thing in the Village Voice. Said drummer with balls willing to do anything to make it. Ace showed up at a a rehearsal or whatever. They were trying out guitarists. And instead of waiting in line... He just started playing. He walked right in, sat down his amp, plugged in and started playing. And he had one orange sneaker and one red sneaker. I can call my kiss all day. Don't. Yeah, but specifically, um, Peter had been in a band called Lips. Peter had been in so many bands, man. He'd been playing since the, the late 50s. He was yeah. a jazz drummer. He's and, a little bit older than Yeah, he's the oldest member. Um, yeah, but, so he's been playing with Lips. And that spurred uh, <coughs> Paul to come up with the name Kiss. They wanted something short. Uh, one word, anybody can say it in the world. Is there any truth that, that they were going to be called fuck and they kind of, as just sort of a joke? That was they, a drunken joke. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Even now, that really probably I'm wouldn't. I'm pretty sure Ace had thrown it out there and he's like, that we would never get anywhere. It was like, well, fuck it. Well, it's called fuck. Speaking of Ace, uh, he's the one who designed the classic logo. Kiss logo. Um, top five most identifiable rock logos ever. I, and they get flack all the time. Like, even today, if they go over to Europe, they have to use the S's slanted side to side. You know, just another, Everyone kept saying he was a racist, even though half the damn band was Jewish. <sighs> and, no, he designed it after lightning bolts, because if you know anything about Ace, he loves space and thunderstorms, and that's the entire me. thing. He Made loves me it. Made feel better. <sighs> Nightmares. The whole Ninth and Satan service crap, which we can get into later. <laughs> um, but in, in short succession, they had the band, they, they kind of uh, cultivated their characters, they got a strong fan base, um, but they really weren't, like, killing it as far as, like, financial success until the release of Alive. Kiss Alive. 1975. And from that point on, like, Kiss became, I mean, literally, this is not hyperbole, literally the biggest band in the world. They had literally a traveling carnival at, like, I think it was 77 to 79. They had giant blow-ups. A Ferris wheel went with them on concert. It was a party. It wasn't just a show. It was a party to go see Kiss. Um, And that's a lot of what differentiates them is sort of like the ballyhoo and the, the theatricalness, which leads us to 1978, which is... Sort of, I mean, we're, we're both in agreement. This is the pinnacle of Kiss. It's the peak, peak. It's right before they fall off the damn mountain. But, I mean, just in terms <coughs> of what was released that year, it was, you've got 
the uh, which was episode three of this podcast, which mm-hmm. is still the number one downloaded episode. Although Nightmare on Elm Street Four is within like Back 20, off, 20 uh, downloads, you can't touch them of uh, overtaking it. Um, Kiss Me, the Phantom of the Park, released in nineteen seventy eight. Um, you also have the four solo albums and Kiss Alive Two. Was it a case of oversaturation mixed with excess? Excess, all just- excess. What it was, they got that. They had enough time to get that money after getting alive and touring and spending all that money and being crazy. And Paul was still writing music today dedicated to the band, but Peter was starting to get more away from the band. Ace was very confident he could make it on his own and was more worried about partying and crashing cars. And Gene <laughs> got completely caught up in the Hollywood lifestyle. Is this around the so, time he was dating Cher? No, that didn't happen until basically unmasked. That's when... All hell started breaking loose. Literally. All hell Which, breaking that loose. That wouldn't happen until 84, thank you. But. <sighs> Why is 1978 so divisive with fans, um, do you think? I mean, I know the thing. when they started uh, bringing kids to shows. It became more of a carnival atmosphere. You had them in comic books, and they were selling Barbie dolls with Kiss and little makeup kits. They became. The ultimate merchandising <laughs> band. And because of that, they became less of a rock band and more of a stage show to take the family to. And that's also why Ace wanted to start getting away from them because he's a rock and roller. He is a cocaine snorting, drinking, going 100 miles an hour down the road, all the time guy. And Peter was the same way. He lived that jazz lifestyle. He smoked those jazz cigarettes. Exactly. And. He wanted to get away from that, too. But Gene and Paul said, hey, this is money. And if you want to keep making money, we're going to have to keep getting more and more radio-friendly. So you had Gene singing Wish Upon a Little Star. and Oh, my God. Which you have... Let, let's just call it right now. The worst of the four solo oh, albums no, is Gene's. There is no talk, talking about it. Because Gene straight up says, even in some of his books and interviews, his entire goal wasn't to make a good album. It was to get the Beatles back together. Because he already had the three of them had already said, yeah, they'll song and sing a song. He was trying to dupe them and is doing a song together without anybody knowing. Well, just so he can say he had the Beatles on a solo well, album. Well, at least if he could have accomplished that, that would have been a cool moment in rock it history. Been, but, but he was more worried about know. doing that than he was making a good album. And that's why his album is garbage. Uh, Dang, I'm fired up. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have 1979, the release of Dynasty, which is uh, Anton Fig played on that, uh, and the official story uh, was that yes, <coughs> Peter had been in a car wreck and he mm. couldn't play on the album, but mm. they still used him on the album cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Kisco, as it's been you know dubbed, and it, that was the beginning of the end. And then by '80, like it was, it was already over in the '80s. So as soon as '80 hit, it was gone. Shandy, they did on Unmasked, but I don't think Peter played a single lick and sang a single note on Unmasked. And then I know for a fact... Well, he's in the video for Shandy, because that's where you're... That's the... Yeah, yeah, I'm but, he, but he didn't... Shandy, last time we ever saw Peter, he came in, put on his makeup, put on his gear, he went out, they performed the video for Shandy, he went in, took all his makeup, and that's the last they talked for until 1993, when they started doing the Kiss reunion shows, the Unmasked acoustic tours and stuff. Yeah. So, so I mean, Ace lasted. Ace lasted a little longer. A little longer. Um, he liked the money. He liked the lifestyle and the excess. But, but he's pretty much cited the elder as kind of like his. Like I've got to get out of this again. They were all going in different directions. 
in 83, Kiss takes off their makeup, and they have a huge revival. MTV. Um, yeah. Um, four ugly dudes. Um, Two members who weren't even part of the original group, who nobody yeah. knew or cared about. Vinnie Vincent, who, um, let's, uh, let's not even talk about. He's probably about. the most divisive member of Kiss yeah. ever, yeah. and my favorite member, other than the original four, Mr. Eric Carr. But Eric, Eric Carr um, was a pretty guy. Yeah, it was. He was probably the prettiest member of yeah. Paul. Paul was a pretty lady until yeah. the 90s. <laughs> I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I'd uh, pop, pop in between them cheeks. <laughs> Him and his... You want, I wonder if he paints... <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. I wonder if he paints uh, a star over his brown eye, just like uh, he does on his uh, over his blue. blue shape. I mean, he is Jewish, so he shaves all that back hair Oh, God, into I didn't it. think about that. So, like you pointed out, Kiss got back together. They had a huge reunion tour, and this movie, Detroit Rock City, is sort of like the um, the culmination of mm-hmm. all of that. Because, I mean, obviously they did um, Psycho Circus, and that was 2000? 98. Was it 98? Okay. The year before. But even that isn't really a reunion album. I mean, they all play on it, but there's only there like parts, one or they two songs. I know Peter and Ace really didn't have any input into what they were allowed to play or sing the entire time. They were told what they're going to do. Because uh, I know the song um, Into the Void was Ace wrote and was the one song that he definitely performed on. Um, they made him change the, all the lyrics. That song was going to be completely different. So, oh well, it was very successful. Um, but yet again, it uh, you know the end was near. So here we have the connecting tissue of 1978, kind of being the breaking point, and then 99 is also like yet again, like we're getting ready to see the band. I would almost say toward the end of 98, and this movie is yeah. actually a lot of the reason why they started. Everybody had different ideas. Gene and Paul aren't going to be overwhelmed. But I mean, they all they all uh, show up in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have that awesome shot uh, inside uh, <laughs> the, the Gene's mouth, which I I scoured and I tried to find who built that prop. And I know I have heard somebody say that they built that prop and they built it for free because they wanted to be. You sure can be. It may have been can be, but I also it may have been Cleve Hall. And I can believe that. I messaged him, and he hasn't seen the message. So, Cleve, um, if you get this between now and whenever, get back to me. Also, if you have the prop, how much do you want for it? Oh, I'm sure that thing's <laughs> probably long gone. Um, you can't talk about Detroit Rock City, the movie, without talking about the music that was, you know, a part of its connecting tissue. Um, the soundtrack was released on August 3rd, 1999. All music gives it a 6 out of 10 rating. Amazon gives it a 3.9 uh, out of 5. So, it's fairly well received. Although, I'm going to be a little negative on some of these, but let's break it down. The first song on the album is The Boys Are Back in Town, uh, but this is a cover by Everclear. Uh, what do you think about this cover? That that's the <laughs> I, I I think this cover sucks <laughs> flat out. There uh, was I don't understand why they, um, this there's something that they did on this album. They had all these iconic songs, but then they had like people cover like Pantera, Cat Scratch Fever, and I don't understand why because in the movie they have the Cat Scratch Fever. Yeah, I, I, a lot of it I think was uh, just tendency. boys to try and sell. It's weird. Yeah. It's really weird. I mean, Everclear, Everclear was popular at the time, so yeah. I understand why they're on there. Um, shout Out Loud by Kiss. Not one of my favorites, personally, but... Um, it uh, is a great song if you're there live. It's not one I listen to my car all the time. It's a, it's a song you literally shout out yep. loud. 
Running with the Devil by Van Halen. And any soundtrack that does not have Running <laughs> Running with the Devil by Van Halen on it is a soundtrack that sucks. Drowning Miss Daisy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to crank it up, Miss Daisy. Uh, as you uh, said before, Cat Scratch Fever, uh, which was a uh, cover um, by Pantera. <coughs> and this was actually released as the single mm-hmm. for the album. Um, I, I can't ever say anything Don't bad about a Pantera why. covering somebody. They were they, they always did great covers. Um, Iron Man by Black Sabbath, which is mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite moments in the movie. So it, it's top. It's in my top favorite scenes in anything. Actually, <laughs> like I was that kid who got you know beat up and stuff for liking Kiss. So like seeing that in a movie. Like, them getting that moment to beat the hell out of people was, oh, with Iron Man playing behind them. Let's just talk about it for a second. So, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, your your principal cast, your, basically, your mystery, who's this, you know, the... The foursome. The the foursome of kids. They're basically the kiss of this movie. Yeah. And they're riding down the road, and they see a bunch of guidos, you know, listening to their disco, and they throw a... Make it... I know every word of that song because of the movie. <laughs> but they throw a piece of pizza and it hits the windshield. And you should have fucking burned. And of course they get their asses kicked because of it. But in turn, uh, they're outnumbered, so Iron Man just mm-hmm. cranks. All it takes is one square kick in the balls. It'll turn a fight real oh, fast. Oh man. <laughs> Just Pulls that, out the drumsticks is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I love that movie. Yeah, but it, what makes it cool, though, is that you see him take off the Kiss belt mm-hmm. buckle and he wraps it around his hand and then... Um, the chain. Yeah, that's good That's just good stuff. Um, Highway to Hell, as covered by Marilyn Manson. Zero out of ten stars for me. Fuck you, Marilyn Manson, you garbage. I'm going to go dead garbage negative five stars. We ain't Ugh. no... Ugh. Um, 20th Century Boy, um, this was a, a song by T-Rex, and it was covered by Drain, S-T-H. I have no comment. I have no because, idea who that is. Yeah. Uh, Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy, um, one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Uh, Surrender by Cheap Trick, um, how can you hate that song? I love that song. Great stuff. <laughs> um, I found this out pretty recently, just in a random conversation you and I had, that this is actually your favorite David Bowie song, Rebel Rebel. Yeah. That and just dance. Let's dance. Uh, I I don't. Love Rebel Rebel. I mean, it's a great song, but I don't know that I would put it in. Well, you my have top 10. a very deep love of Bowie. I do. Thin White Duke. You, you have we ever him. have we ever told the story about how we uh, you kind of saw David Bowie? <laughs> oh no! Like the haunted. Yeah. Okay. So I, I and Fat Fuck Scott both worked at the haunted house, and it was during like winter time. And I'm the only person upstairs, and he's the only person downstairs. He's running basically the elevator that you know he gives them the rules and sends them mm-hmm. up to me. So we work next to a car museum, like a pop culture car museum, and so you know, tell them like what happened and they. I kept seeing it. I was like, David Voy has a very distinct figure. And uh, we kept having groups that would come up every time I tried to get a look at the guy. And I finally saw him, and I went over next door, because, you know, we all talked to everybody. And I asked, was that David Bowie? And uh, Cam, who runs the place, said, I'm pretty sure it is. And then he got a picture on the way out and said, yes, it is. Well, I told Brandon this, and Brandon comes hauling ass downstairs, but I just sent a group up, so he has to hit, you know, his spots and give the rules and everything. So by the time he gets downstairs... I couldn't find them again. And then he goes back upstairs. We get another group. And then he's across the street. And he's walking into the uh, the moon. There's like the a moonshine, moonshine place. place. yeah. And it was him and this really tiny Asian guy. 
It was a really weird thing, but it was it's David Bowie. And by the time Brandon got back downstairs, they were just gone. And it, it wasn't really a busy, busy day, but it was just busy enough to be annoying. It was busy enough to where I could not leave my station. So you know what? I that's one of my greatest regrets in life that like I didn't even get to see David Bowie. And you did. You yep. Piece of shit. And the little Asian man. And his little Asian man. <laughs> it was just weird. Yeah, I bet it was short round from uh, Temple of Doom. <laughs> Um, Str- really uh, back to the back to the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> Strutter, which was uh, covered by the Donnas. I, I'm going to give them credit. This is a good cover. Um, the video was really cool. Um, I had a thing for a couple of those uh, ladies back in 1999 because uh, they they look like dirty rock rock girls, and uh, that's that's all right with me. Uh, Detroit Rock City by Kiss. I don't know how you get a, uh, get around having a soundtrack about Detroit yeah. Rock City without Detroit I'm Rock City. I'm actually surprised they didn't get anybody to cover it, honestly. Well, that would have been sacrilege. It would have been like Kid Rock at the time or somebody. Um, Little Willie by The Sweet. I fucking hate this song. It is an earworm if there ever was an earworm. So, yeah, not a fan. Not for me. And I'm, I'm really surprised that this <coughs> was not the... Uh, the single, but there's a song called Nothing Can Keep Me From You, which was performed by Kiss. This song sucks. <laughs> That's probably why it wasn't released as a single. But it's probably when they slipped in. It doesn't sound like Kiss. This sounds like a like a Paul Stanley. This actually sounds like a Paul Stanley solo song from like his seventy eight album. If it was one of their uh, their Carnival of Souls uh, songs. Because they had released that, or they had recorded a whole grunge album, basically, yeah. and then didn't re- like didn't release it until after, I think, 98, actually, was when the album was released, 98, 99. Yeah, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, not 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 a fan of uh, uh-uh. Nothing Can Keep Me From You. I mean, it's probably fine if you're, it, it's a love song, so, I mean, if you're in the mood for something like that, it's just, it's way too saccharine, That's especially for a movie man. about 1978 Kiss. <laughs> Um, there are a bunch of songs that were in the movie but not included in the soundtrack. Uh, Whole Lot of Rosie by ACDC uh-huh. and uh, Come Sail Away by Styx. And I'm sure that was probably just a licensing thing. So, now that we've uh, laid the groundwork, let's actually talk about the movie we're here to talk about. Oh, we're an hour in, but here we are. So, if you, if you want to read the plot synopsis <clears throat> for 1999's Detroit Rock City. Rock-loving teens and aspiring musicians Hawk, Edward Furlong, Lex Giuseppe Andrews, Trip, James DeBello, and Jam, Sam Huntington. Can't wait to see their favorite band, Kiss, perform at an upcoming concert. However, when Jam's pious mother, played by Lynn Shea, finds the concert tickets, she incinerates them, leaving the boys desperate for a way to see the show. In their attempts to see the hottest band in the world, the lads endure misunderstandings, humiliation, and good old-fashioned violence. All for the chance to see the demon, the star child, Catman, and the Spaceman live in Detroit Rock City. Shake your wee wee. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this era, we kind of mentioned it a little earlier, American Pie had came out, so the sex comedy sort of had this new lease on life. Stoner sex comedies uh, are all... Hashtag view askew. Yeah. Well, Jay and Silent Bob brought back the, the stoner comedy, kind of like went away for a while, and then it came back. That's just true. That's true. But I'm saying 1999, like uh, we had, you know, a resurgence of a new wave of those. Um, but they all have their 
things that are make them all kind of cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. You might even call them tropes. So oh, let's uh, trope on it. <laughs> let's list the tropes of the sex comedy genre. Virgin shaming slash quest to lose virginity. Well, that's definitely in this movie. It's mm-hmm. pretty much uh, Jam's whole uh, quest. I mean, other than getting the concert, he, he desperately wants to bang Beth. And spoiler alert, he does. Um, bathroom shenanigans. Um, that's a big one. You know, they get in the stall and the girls. Need to meet you in the ladies' room. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they knock all this shit over. So that's a big one on that. Slapstick comedy. Um, there's, oh, there's for sure. quite a bit in the movie. There's a part of the beginning where he, like, pulls the thing and it smacks him in the face and even makes a, a sound, like <laughs> a cuckoo sound. So, yeah, they totally went full on that one. Uh, peeping Tom, that kind of goes back to what they did in the yep. bathroom. You know, they're watching the girl take a piss, and then she takes a... She, you hear the plop. She blows ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, sex in an un- unorthodox location. Can I, can I yell it now? Let's go ahead. I just lost my virginity in a professional booth. Lord have mercy! I thought you were going to go, Smooth as I'm beer. not doing that yet. <laughs> okay. An out-of-league... A girl hooks up with a guy. Actually, I should say an out-of-league... Uh, well, not a, a guy... Uh, hooks up with an out-of-league girl. Yeah, there you go. But... Um, um, but Jandweed? Well, that's definitely... But Lex hooks up with... Um, mm, the with, the uh, disco at the Sheila. Yeah. Oh, Christine. Christine. We'll get to her a little later on. Um, a trip from one location to another is overly complicated. There... There's always some kind of road trip. They were literally supposed to take a train straight to Detroit, and then they somehow ended up not doing that at all. Yeah. So, um, exposed breast used as a gag. Surprisingly, not. There are quite a few exposed breasts, but there's no, there's no like um, distraction moment and causing a person to be tackled or you know somebody getting hit in the face with a big pair of jugs. It just doesn't happen. Um, alcohol or drug use. Definitely. Oh, oh, uh, throughout the whole film. Yeah, so... The nine, very first scene with the four guys, they're smoking weed, so... Yeah, well, it was the 70s, man. Nine out of ten. So, this is pretty on point for one of the uh, more by-the-numbers, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but uh, it's definitely troped up on its, uh, on its basis. Another thing uh, you could look into uh, with a lot of movies is uh, it's kind of become really fun to break down the tropes of movies and specific things that happen and create drinking games. So here's another edition of Drink It In, man! The Detroit Rock City edition. So you should take a shot whenever drugs are shown or mentioned. Anyone says disco or disco sucks. Every time kiss is shown or mentioned... Anytime Kiss paraphernalia is shown, anytime oh. Kiss's music is referenced to as satanic or demonic, anytime anyone says the names Beth or Christine, be prepared to get fucked up because you're going to get toe up. That's that's a lot. So Ooh. the route to any movie is the direction. It's sort of the founding block, and this movie was directed by Adam Rifkin. He's probably not uh, a household name, but uh, any person who uh, knows their, you know, their kind of underground movie stuff knows the guy 
who's been uh, affectionately known as Riff Coogan. Uh, But Adam Rifkin, uh, he directed Invisible Maniac with Melissa Moore, who is my all-time favorite scream queen. (laughs) She's in Samurai Cop, and those boobies just will not quit. I'm not a big fan of blondes, but man, she is statuesque in all the right ways. I love her so much. Uh, He directed um, The Dark Backward with Judd Nelson, Bill Paxton, James Caan, Laura Flynn Boyle, and uh, Rob Lowe. That's a great cast. I actually need to see that. He did uh, Psycho Cop Returns with Julie Strain. Uh, We unfortunately just lost her earlier this year. Um, Stalwart in, you know, B-movie cinema. uh, Playmate. Really, really attractive girl. And somebody who didn't look down on the genre that she uh, Uh found herself in uh, pretty uh, regularly. This is one of the more uh, noteworthy movies he did. I actually saw this in the theater when I was way too young to be seen. I don't, I don't even remember the circumstances of how I saw this in theater. The Chase with Charlie Sheen, Christy Swanson, Henry Rollins, and Ray Wise. I've never seen that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you get to see Christy Swanson naked in that movie, if memory serves. I know you definitely see somebody naked in that movie. Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Right up his a-hole. Tiger blood. Uh, National Lampoon's The Stone Age with Ron Jeremy, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted! And trust me, there's going to be plenty of those in this movie. Let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. Who's in this movie? Ron Jeremy. One connection, so there's your... <laughs> okay, um, he did the Wadzella segment in Chillerama, which he also acts in that. Um, Chillerama is terrific. Um, the Kyoto Brothers, who did the special effects for um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space... They do that. Uh, it's about a this guy ejaculates a sperm and it just keeps growing and growing, and then it, it fucks the Statue of Liberty. And as it gets, oh, hell yeah, fucking weird stuff. Eric Roberts basically is Patton. In that. I see this movie now. And then the they uh, the, the military blows the uh, the sperm up, and everybody gets covered in jizz. It's a I'm, you haven't seen Chillerama? Well, fuck, I'm gonna let you borrow that tonight. It's on Prime, Amazon Prime. <laughs> um. More recently, he did uh, The Last Movie Star with Burt Reynolds, uh, Chevy Chase, who was in Caddyshack with Bill Murray, busted two times. Oh my but a cool thing about The Last Movie Star is that there were parts of that movie that were shot in Knoxville right down the road. Um, they actually had uh, a theatrical showing of this at the Tennessee Theater. I, I remember this when this happened. Yeah, this is. it was not long before, yeah. before he died. Um, but I wanted to go to this, not because of Burt Reynolds, but like I'm a big Adam Rifkin fan. Uh, specifically because of Wadzilla and uh, the Stone Age. That was stuff that, you know, I watched the Stone Age a lot growing up. But, fuck, man, he he worked on Chillerama. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. Um, he's also an accomplished writer. He did Mouse Hunt, Small Soldiers, Knucklehead, starring the big show of, from the WWE, which is one of the better um, WWE uh, produced films. Bar, no, <laughs> it is not. It is not. Um, he also has an uncredited uh, writer on Going Overboard with Adam Sandler, who is in, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, with Dan Aykroyd, who is in Ghostbusters, busted three times. Get get used to it. Oh, my God. You'll get oh busted God. on a whole bunch. Now, uh, a little bit of trivia f- uh, for him as it pertains to this movie. Uh, he's on the billboard for the strip club, It's Raining Men. And um, watch the movie. That billboard would not attract anybody to go <laughs> well, in there. Did you see a lot of the women that were in there, too? Good Lord. Yeah, but but I'm just saying, like, the dudes that were in there, you know, like... Uh, they let Hawk strip, okay? Okay, well, that's true, but... 
Come on. And they had like Sir Loin. <laughs> He's the one who wins the, the one uh, wins. <laughs> um at age twenty one, he was hired by twentieth Century Fox to write and direct a new version of Planet of the Apes. In Rifkin's original script, uh, the apes had reached sort of like a Roman uh, Empire esque kind of society, with the idea of being kind of like Spartacus, but with primates. Huh. Uh, reportedly, the studio loved his draft, and the project was shelved. Unfortunately, when the studio head was fired. Now, subsequently, the project changed hands uh, between o- Oliver Stone, Chris Tim Columbus. Burton. Uh, James Cameron, and yes, ultimately was ruined by Tim Burton. Although the special effects, the practical effects in that movie are some of the best. And Mark Wahlberg was just awesome. <laughs> oh, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie Encino, Encino Man? Uh, Polly Shore, Brendan yes, Fraser. Yes. The movie poster of that movie was actually designed by Adam Rifkin. I know, right? It's random. That is very, very random. Um, the writer of this film was named Carl V. Dupre, or Dupree, I'm not really sure how it's pronounced. Um, he's done a few things that, uh, people would be familiar with. He did Prophecy 3, uh, with Christopher Walken, who was in The Deer Hunter with Robert De Niro, no, who was in Mad no, Dwelling Glory no, with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters, no. busted four times. And I thought you might actually find this interesting, because he wrote a couple movies, uh, or at least one I know you saw recently, Hellraiser, Hellseeker. I know we watched that on Halloween yep. night. Have you made it any further into the Hellraiser canon since then? I know you're trying to get caught up. the last one? that uh, Hellra- Hellseeker. That's the one, last one I know you saw with me. What number is that, though? Uh, that'd be seven. I think that might have been the last one. Well, he also wrote Hellraiser Hellworld, um, and he has a small uh, acting role in that as the bartender. That's the one with Lance Henriksen and the guy who plays uh, Superman is mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, he's in, uh, or he wrote, uh, Incubus with Robert England, which is no joke. One of the worst pieces of shit ever made. And if Robert England were not in this movie, <coughs> nobody would ever have seen it. Um, and he's worked in the editorial department, uh, a lot. Uh, he was on, he worked, uh, Leprechaun 2, Top Dog with Chuck fucking Norris, uh, Barbed Wire, uh, which was a big jack off film when I was, uh, in my, uh, Middle school years. That's Pamela Anderson one. Yeah. Oh my god. Mimic, which is pretty good. Evita, which is a a big film, not a good movie, but it's a a film well known. Uh, Scream two, not not a fan of it, but very popular movie. And oddly enough, you know, I mentioned the Stone Age. He was the narrator in that movie. So evidently, like he and um, Adam Rifkin kind of knew each other from from way back. So. All the all the plot lines converge. Oh, it's all coming together. Well, speaking <laughs> of coming together, let's talk about our principal cast, our main four. Um, Giuseppe Andrews, who plays the character of Lex, he's modeled after Gene. He's uh, the the character who um, mentioned a little earlier. He's the one who's trying to sneak in backstage. Tall, more down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. Plaid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was in Invisible Mom with Dee Wallace, the legendary Scream Queen Brink Stevens. Uh, and he was also in that movie with Russ Hamblin, who was Dr. Jacoby on Twin Peaks. Um, I've started uh, to think about if I should do a connection to Twin Peaks every episode as well and just call it You Just Got Lynched. What do you think about that? Change the name. <laughs> No! I'm going to talk about lynching in 2019. <laughs> right? Fine. Not even in 2019. <clears throat> um, 
uh, he was in Independence Day, and I it didn't click with me until I I went and looked up a picture, and I'm like, oh shit, yeah, he's the he's the little not little, but he was the kid in in that movie. Um, so small world, I guess. Uh, he was in Pleasantville, American History X, which I didn't yeah. remember that either. But um, yeah, he's very noticeable. His voice is very distinctive. Uh-huh. Uh, he was in The Other Sister. He was in uh, Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. Um, who, and that's a lie. Because um, Drew Barrymore has been kissed a lot by Tom Green, of all people. Why is it that Tom Green can get Drew Barrymore, but she won't even fucking meet me? That's some bullshit. <laughs> um, his, um, probably his most notable role is he was in 13 episodes of Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place, which evidently is an actual TV show. I've never heard of it. Yeah, that. it was uh, an ABC show. So, uh, he was in Cabin Fever one and two. Uh, I don't care for Cabin Fever one. I've never seen them. Um, Cabin Fever two, surprisingly, is actually decent. At least it's better directed than part one. Um, he was in two thousand one Maniacs, which is a sort of a reboot of the, uh, the Lynch Herschel. Huh? Did you have Legendary Cabin Fever 2? No, you're thinking of Wrong Turn 2. Oh, okay. Uh, no, uh, fucking, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who did um, House of the Devil, Ty West, oh. did um, did that movie. I thought about that. Uh, he was in 2001 Maniacs, um, which was directed by Tim Sullivan, who's an executive producer on this movie, uh, Detroit Rock City. Uh, consequently, the interesting thing about that, why he just had to be the executive producer on this movie he is bar none one of the biggest kiss fans you will ever meet <laughs> so he fought for this he fought for it okay um actually it's on the on the 2001 uh maniacs uh ma- there's like a making of documentary lynn shay's in that movie as well who we'll talk about a little later but when she's talking about working with tim sullivan she's like Everything he says is about Kiss. He he brings everything about back to Kiss. So basically, he does with Kiss like I do with Ghostbusters. So I got to respect that. Tim Sullivan also worked on Chillerama. He directed the segment. Oh um, uh, I I fuck was it called? I was a teenage werebear about um, uh, gay werewolves. <laughs> they can they can they can only be killed by shoving a um, a silver dildo in their butts. This is this is five star cinema, by the way. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Must watch. How have you not seen? Have you not seen Chillerama? I don't know. Adam Green and Joe Lynch both have segments on it. I know. Oh man, I'm, le- I'm, about I'm, I'm, I'm letting you borrow it tonight. Um, he was also in the uh, Smashing Pumpkins videos for 1979 and Perfect. Well, you know I'm such a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. I, I like the Smashing Pumpkins. I don't. Um, 1979, actually, that whole album, Melancholy so and the Infinite. The Throat, oh, you shut day. up. He's a nice. He's a nice. Yeah, I'm guy. sure he's a nice guy, but his voice infuriates me. Well, <laughs> well, if you ever, if you ever get the chance to punch him, he uh, sounds like Paul does now. That's that's mean. <laughs> um, Giuseppe is the son of Joey Mercia, and I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, but the reason that is of note is that he's the guitarist for the Bee Gees and Joe Walsh. Yeah, that's I remember, right? Really random. So he he's lived this sort of weird bohemian childhood where he. His father moved to Los Angeles, and they actually lived in a van during this time. Yeah, down by the river. Sorry. But he 
he didn't have this like normal childhood upbringing. He lived in a van while his dad was doing gigs in L.A. and like that's that's a weird lifestyle. So yeah, he is. was almost you know disposed to end up in the entertainment uh, field. Now his real name is Joey Andrews, but he changed his name to Giuseppe in tribute to a composer named Giuseppe Verde. And I have no idea who that is. But that name from, sounds way too fancy for me. <laughs> well, evidently it's something his I guess his father introduced him to. You okay. Know. Um, I mean, we're the, when you're the guitarist for the Bee Gees and Joe Walsh, you, you probably have some uh, interesting... Some really out there people. True. So, Lex, um, his the big takeaway for me is the scene where the he's being chased by the dogs. <laughs> the, it's so dumb. <laughs> if you help me out of this lore, I will never pull my pork again, <laughs> is one of my favorite lines. <laughs> It's <laughs> a great line, man. Uh, and that I mean, that's his his lasting legacy. Uh, having a line about you know, I will I will stop masturbating if I get out of uh, this situation. Not his ass eating about a bunch of Rottweilers and a I don't know what this thing's called. Oh man, and he's Hound. he's he's in he get he actually gets inside and like he's he's carrying the drum. He he drops it and it rolls and and causes a bunch of chaos. And then like he's he's up in like the the rafters on a duck and it falls and falls. And he actually get it comically like picked up and thrown over a chain link fence. And that leads to the whole segment with the dogs. But good stuff, Jazzy Just, Jeff style. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a reference. Love Fresh Prince. Um, James DeBello plays the role of Trip, and he's modeled after Ace. Oh, I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, yeah. Pretty evident. Um, he hasn't done a lot, but the things he's done have been fairly notable. Uh, he was in American Pie, so it, basically 1999 yeah. was the year of James DeBello in sex comedies. Uh, he was in Scary Movie 2, another uh, popular, albeit... I saw it It's okay. Uh, he was also in Cabin Fever with Giuseppe Andrews. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he plays a more subdued role in that movie, and I think that's not needed. He, I like him a little more smart-ass unhinged. He just plays better to... He did a great job with this character. Oh, he's so good. So It and, seems so like natural for him. Um, and now, even though this comes out post... Um, you know, clerks and mall rats. You can't help but draw comparisons. The beanie, the long jacket, the even the cadence of the way he talks. He's he's a little bit more stoner, stonered, I guess. That's, that's not because Jay is fast when he talks, and he's really slow. Well, so. meth will do that. No speed. Oh yeah, he looked healthy when I just met him the other day. He is day. healthy now. He had a daughter. <laughs> She's in the new movie, by the way. I did not know that. Yeah. She's got, uh, I don't know how she, old she'd be. She's about four. four. Yeah. She's adorable. Cute little kid. Um, he was also in Swim Fan. Uh, that was a big movie when it came out, but that is hot garbage. Hot I garbage. I have like a, a flashback. I have totally forgot that even existed. Yeah. Anakin Skywalker's sister. I yeah. Really remember her. I can't even think of her name. Kristen Christensen. She was hot, but fuck that movie. Uh, he was in Dorm Days 1 and 2, and that's pretty much it. Uh, the the little bit of trivia that I had uh, pertaining to him in the movie, there's this, this scene where he gets punched by Chongo, and he fucking flies! <laughs> now... They they attach a harness to him and they pull him, you know, on a wire. It's pretty it's it's obvious when you watch it. But when Sped. he Yeah, but when he hits the wall, the wall is made of rubber. 
watch this scene. Find it on YouTube, and it is so obvious. <laughs> this is like straight out of fucking Looney Tunes, man. It's one of those, like, again, we have that It's slapstick. It's very over the top. But the, the violence is not tuned down at all in this movie. <laughs> Whenever they have the violent moments, like even the fight at the end, it's very over the top. Yeah, I, I I like sort of the, uh, <laughs> the come on man. I like the sort like of the, purpose. the heightened reality because I mean it does kind of play on your heartstrings at times. I mean there's very true to life moments, but it is you know it's a comedy and they they play to those mm-hmm. those positives. The crowd. So uh, his uh, his big scene in the movie is the he's basically okay. He's in this position where he has to get tickets. They've all gone their separate ways, and he's like he sees this kid playing pinball, wearing Ace's makeup, and he's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna I'm gonna bully this kid into giving me his tickets." Not realizing his brother Chongo is there and is going to prevent this from occurring. Do you know anything about the guy played Chongo? Because that's a big motherfucker. Mm. <laughs> he, he didn't really do much. That was a um, big boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that whole scene, you know, he's he's going to rob this this gas station, and it ends up getting robbed when he's trying to rob it. And he has Stretch Armstrong, which he took from little kids outside <laughs> in his pimp pocket. <laughs> he did. And it's, it fucking saves his life. But what my probably the best line in the movie, the one that, like, when, when I saw it in the theater with probably like eight other people this got the biggest reaction where he's like he's like what army the, the kiss, kiss army. army and yeah i knew exactly where you were going he's like i i still let out a little cheer in my heart because once again as a kid who got the crap kicked out of him and had to fight for liking kiss in elementary and middle school um having that backup even if they're not there you know you have an army with you and it's such good stuff. That that line makes me cheer in my heart every time I hear it now. My first tattoo was a Kiss Army tattoo, so... Well, it's, uh, it's something that you can't help but... I skipped I school on my 18th birthday to go get this tattoo. Well, good for you. Love my Kiss. Continue on, Kiss, sir. Kiss is a multi-generational thing, and it uh, this, this movie only allowed a new generation to kind of... Yeah, rediscover Phantom of the fucking Park didn't because they didn't even let that on DVD until the box set. Yeah, so you couldn't watch that. My aunt had it on a VHS that she recorded when it aired. That's how I watched it growing up. So like the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah, it was like you never found it unless you found it. So I had it. I'd actually rather see it that way just to see like the weird commercials in the commercial breaks and stuff. I remember one. It was like for a, a toothbrush, but you wouldn't know it was about toothbrushes. It was very weird. Well, that, that story went nowhere. Thanks. Sorry. For that. <laughs> okay. Those the commercials. Playing the role of Jam, Sam Huntington. Uh, who's modeled after Peter, and it's so obvious that he's the Peter because he's the sensitive one. He's the baby, yeah. even though he's supposed to be the oldest one, but he's still the baby. Um, pretty recently, he's had a reoccurring role on the show Good Girls. Uh, he was in Psych the Movie, 24 episodes of uh, Rosewood. He was in Sully with Tom Hanks, who was in Dragnet with Dan Aykroyd, who was in oh Ghostbusters, God. busted five times. Uh, Boy, he was in... 52 episodes of Being Human, the American version. That's why I recognize him Yeah. Now. 
sci-fi channel show. Very popular. Tried to watch it. It's just not... It's very CW, even though not, I don't think it's on CW. Not my cup of tea, no. No, he was in Fanboys, which is another uh, Die Hard. It's, it's almost the same movie with Detroit Rock Star City. Wars, The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Um, Friend dying of cancer who wants to see Star Wars, and so they got to get him to see Star Wars, and they end up breaking into George Lucas's ranch. And I'm just saying, it follows a lot of the same beats of like you know things going wrong. Very similar, yeah. Very good movie. Um, well, I wouldn't say it was a great movie, but it's it's a great movie. It's not as good as this one. It's no. just a step below. It's a good movie uh, for what its intended purpose is. Um, Except for the Phantom Menace sucked, so that oh, was kinda, that's the guy the last thing you ever saw before he died. That's a damn shame. Yeah, that does suck. <laughs> Tough break. <laughs> um, <laughs> eight episodes of Caveman. Okay, you I remember what that is? Uh, you remember the Geico Caveman? They actually made that show. Yes, they did. I know they talked about it, but I didn't know. Do they you know? Made do you know who else was in that show? Who the guy who plays Ruxin on the League? Yeah. And I'm blanking on his name. God, and that's going to drive me crazy. Eddie? Where's Eddie when you need him? Yeah, I know. Stag Eddie, I need to need call Hot you. Tag. <laughs> um, he was Jimmy Olsen in Superman Returns. And after uh, after seeing it, man, he he was so perfect for that role. It's just so bad and so, it sucks that like that movie was not successful because he could have he easily have had a career. Is that one with the guy that literally... Brandon Routh. Yeah, when I play the Adam... Or whatever in the TV show, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it sucks. That really sucks because I mean he was spot on. You know, neither one of us are huge Superman fans, but nope. I mean he he had a. I like substance in my characters. He had oh, oh burn. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, he has to his credit perhaps the worst casting situation ever, in that he was in with Tim Allen. Jungle to Jungle. Jungle to Jungle. I adored that film, and it's actually on my Disney Plus uh, watch list. Of course it fucking is. Dude, that movie was awesome when I was a kid. Dude, you are fucking wrong. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. I tried, like, well, I remember uh, watching it. My Papa bought it because they'd buy anything Disney that came out for a while. And when it came out, I used to watch it all the time, and then I tried rewatching. It was on Netflix or something a few years ago, and I made it about ten minutes in, and I was like, nope. And that's as far as I made it. So maybe Castle like it. I don't know. You know, here's the thing. Like, I can suspend my disbelief really far when it comes to cinema. I mean, look at the movies behind you here in the Black Lodge. <laughs> a movie about a, a white kid who grew up in the jungle. No. No. I can't. I can't do it, and Tim Allen deserves better than this. He was the Santa Claus. That was after this, though. I know, it? and yeah. that, that was See, di- he was that he was them making it up to him. Of a lot of the bad movies, I remember there was one the Shaggy Dog. Yeah, where, was, no, there was one where he was married to that one chick who always gets fat, and everybody forgets about her. But they like, crash their yeah, they crash their car. And they end up being Amish for a while. Yeah, that movie was bad too. Um, it's not as bad as Jungle to Jungle. I like Jungle to Jungle. <laughs> Shut up. So Sam Huntington was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Performance by a Young Actor or Actress in 1998 for his role in Jungle to Jungle. So evidently somebody liked what he had going yeah, on. Yeah, But he was also nominated he for talk Young... Squirrels, okay? God, so fucking stupid. <laughs> he, was, he was nominated for Young Star Award in 2000 for his role in Detroit Rock City. So he's he's had some success. Well, he's the, he's the, he's the baby. I mean... 
he does play that role very well. The guy gets pushed around by his parents until he finally snaps and stands up for himself. That that moment. Well, we we kind of touched on it, but his his big scene in the movie is finally hooking up with Beth in the most unconventional of locations on literal hallowed ground. He nails her in the confession booth, and then they have that great scene where the priest is like... Uh, explain what uh, underwear the girl was wearing whenever she took off her dress, whenever he made it with a bridesmaid or something. Uh, he's, he's literally getting his rocks off. Um, so, uh, I... Crotchless th- panties. This... this skin thong. Because <laughs> the hell got just like naming all these things awesome. So this <coughs> bears the question... Um, where is the weirdest place you have ever had sex? Oh, God. You caught... <sighs> well, I'll go ahead and tell you mine. It was in a Walmart parking lot in the middle of the day. Um, Fat Fuck Scott back in the day used to sling some dick. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I've done a lot of bad things. Um... One of the weird, the one time I got caught, uh, we were at a elementary school playground and heard that there weren't, any, knock. There, there weren't any elementary school kids involved. No, in this it was like it was after a Halloween party. She was dressed as Tinkerbell, and I didn't dress up because I was too cool to dress up. And they oh. brought the parents. The parents had to come get her and stuff, and I just stood there awkwardly. Uh, the, uh, if you ever touch my daughter again, I'll kill you. She's a uh, damn kindergarten teacher now. Well, of course she is. <laughs> Good stuff. Well. I think you uh, you molded that situation into, oh, yeah. into happening. I'm just I'm just pissed off that you weren't dressed up. No, too, too cool to dress up. My friend was dressed up like fucking Tigger, and seeing him come out of the damn like when the police found him carrying a Tigger costume is <laughs> the funniest <laughs> shit ever, dude. So, oh man, <laughs> that's why I don't dress up for shit like that. All right, <laughs> rounding out our four of the Fab Four, who's modeled after Paul. None other than Edward Furlong playing the role of Hawk. He has a legacy to to live up to, um, and he was sort of, I guess, on his recovery to to stardom at this point. But he's best known for his roles in Pet Cemetery Two. Uh, he was in the Aerosmith music video "Living on the Edge." He was in Brain Scan with Frank Langella. Um, Nobody cares. I'm uh, the one that matters. No, 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 we're, we'll get to it, but. <laughs> Actually, there's two that matter to me. He was, but Brain Scan's awesome, man. It is, but that's not the first. The fuck is going on? Sirens outside. <sighs> they found us. He was in American History X. That's that's, that's one, one of the ones that's very important. One to me. of the big ones. Uh, Giuseppe Andrews is also in that, so there's some cross crossover. He was in <sighs> Pecker, which was directed which by is John Waters. Ah, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> very quick witted there. Thank you. Um, Pegger is not a good movie. It's not one of John Waters' better movies, but I'm pretty sure that was cool for him to get to work with John Waters. I would love to work with John Waters. He's a very interesting human being. Even in a movie called Pecker. Even in a movie called Pecker. (laughs) The sequel. He was in uh, the music video for Metallica's The Unnamed Feeling from St. Anger. Fuck that album. See, there. See, the, the it's the, the these these are getting worse and worse. Um, it doesn't get much worse than this. He played the crow in the crow no, wicked prayer. No, 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 no. Have no, you no. seen this? Have you seen yes, it? Yes, I have. Man, this movie's bad. 
anything after the second one was bad. Like the first one, but, was but even awesome. even the third one, which isn't it's, good, that's the one the prison. Isn't it like he breaks out the prison, yeah. and get electrocuted. God, even that one is way better than this one. <sighs> terrible, terrible movie. Um, he does have a small smaller role in the remake of Night of the Demons, which is not a good movie. But he does his character reveal has this awesome moment. He's in a strip club and he's getting this sort of like medium shot showing him from the waist up, and it slowly pans out, and he's getting blown as he's giving like this speech. That is how you um, unveil a character in a movie, ladies and gentlemen. Blowjobs. You're welcome. Uh, he was in the uh, Green Hornet with Seth Rogen, who was in. Um, oh, shut up! You know where I'm going. Shut with up! That. We're not busting again. <laughs> the busting uh, days are over. He was in Below Zero with Michael Berryman from The Hills Have Eyes. So there's a little horror connection for you. But let's just get it down to it. Everybody knows him for his role as John Connor in Terminator Two: yeah, Judgment Day. Well. A de-aged John Connor, spoiler alert, shows up in the new Dark Fate and is killed in the first scene. Who fucking called you that? You called that like six months ago. Actually, probably longer than that. And I didn't I didn't want to believe it. Yep. Nobody's well, that stupid. Yeah, well. Well, they were. Director Tim Miller, former hey, director uh, how'd of... Hey, that, how'd that box office come for you, bud? Huh? How'd that, actually, that money? I huh? haven't seen it. I've actually, heard, I've actually heard the movie is not terrible overall. It's the best one since part two. But that's not a hard hurdle to no. get over. So I'll wait for it to get released on DVD and Blu-ray. I won't watch it. A little bit, little bit of trivia yeah. about Edward Furlong. Um, in the original script, uh, there was a scene where Hawk was going to confess uh, to Amanda that he never knew his mom um, because she had died while giving birth to him. Now, this uh, kind of ties up one of the continuity errors in the movie. Or not so much continuity error, but like a little bit of a confusion. Because uh, there's a part where he's telling, he's yelling at Trip and Lex um, for making fun of each other. Your mom's but, a gynecologist and your mom smoked just that fine Panama red. Yeah, so this kind of explains why. Because he never had a mother. Yeah. So he's sort of like, you fuck you, you know. Like, you know you I didn't realize that. Like, you, see, you hear about everybody else's mom and even you know Jam's mom, but... He yeah. didn't have any parenting at all in that movie. That's weird. Uh, he was ranked number 69 in VH1's list of the 100 greatest kid stars. Let's talk about him as a kid star. He's he's great in Terminator 2. There is no like downplaying how amazing he was. Like he acted well over his age. He he's very very damn believable. He's like, incredibly natural. Um, all of the like the lingo, you know, hasta la vista, baby, and then the stuff, and then teaching the Terminator, um, that seems very true to life for like a, a kid stuff that should of be that dumb, time. Oh yeah, but don't it came get me wrong, very well for that Di- era. That dialogue coming from an adult uh-huh. would be cringeworthy, but because it's a kid, like it's like okay, yeah, that's yeah, how, that's how a kid talks. That's how a kid talks. Um, his nickname when he was younger was Pook. Couldn't find out exactly why, but uh, Pook. There we go. There you go. Uh, he had a number one song on the Japanese music charts called Hold On Tight. I didn't realize he even had a musical career whatsoever. What is it? I, what kind I, of music? I looked it up. I'm just going to say this now. There is no describing it. Just just look it up. Just <laughs> look it up. Hold on to what? <laughs> Hold on tight. Hold on tight. Uh, he was a Saturn Award winner in 1992 for Best Performance by a Young Actor for his role in Terminator 2, like we oh, stated. Shit. Much well lauded. Okay, here's where things get rough. Um, 
he had those breakout roles in you know Terminator Two and Pet Cemetery Two. Unfortunately, there is a predatory nature. I'm stepping back in Hollywood, and it's come a little more to light in recent years. When he was 13, he hooked up with his tutor. Her name was Jacqueline Louise Domac. While he was filming Terminator 2, she was 26. Now, if I was a 13-year-old and a hot 26-year-old wanted to knock my junk around, I probably would have been all about that. <laughs> the problem about this is she became his manager, Uh-oh. and they stayed together until 1998. Um... She was controlling him. Like, he got hooked on drugs and alcohol during this time. She let a lot of these bad things happen to him and kind of used him as a source of revenue on top of the the whole, let's just call it like it is, I mean, the whole pedophile situation. And she took him to court in request of 15% of his earnings uh, for the years that they were together. Um, and she charged uh, physical abuse and breach of contract on this. And, and it was a whole big ordeal at the time. But you were fucking an underage kid. I, How do you justify that in court and your actions when you're an adult by that much and they're that much younger? Did she win? I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I think a lot of that stuff ended up getting thrown out. Um, but he definitely had hard times of like losing money and like the drugs and alcohol like i mean ruined his career just think about like the trajectory he was on he was i mean like a legit star and he took a hard nosedive and it's only been in recent years he's kind of like even been in anything yeah now a little interesting story uh he was going to be john connor in terminator 3 he was actually signed, sealed, and delivered, and he was so excited he that he got the role, he fell off the wagon and got so fucking tore up that they took the role away from him. So I feel bad for him because what could have been, you know? And unfortunately, this is just, it's, this, it's the same old song and dance that Hollywood takes these kids, molds them, turns them out, and then just throws them right back in the fucking gutter. Mm-hmm. That being said, he's great in this movie. I think we're going to agree, best scene of the movie, him nervously getting up on stage, puking puking into the the fucking... um, The whole margarita pitcher or whatever the hell it is. He fills the damn thing up. The the volume keeps changing. He hands it back. Maestro! And he dances to fucking strutter, like of all songs. Like I don't know. Like it, he asked that he kiss. That song's about you know Streetwalker or whatever. So uh, uh, that's true. I don't know. But I, I, it's I not a song you dance to. But he did it by God. No. And then the reveal of the boxers is one of my favorite things in anything. It has the jean face with the tongue sticking out, and it says "Kiss this" on the back. I, mean, I I have I have never owned any Kiss boxers, but if I were going I to. That's the pair I would want. Would you believe I've owned Kiss Boxers? Oh, really? Yeah, man. Well, good for you. There's a picture of me wearing them on Facebook. Nobody fucking wants to see that. Okay, here's the thing. I get banned on Facebook fucking constantly for promoting this podcast, but there is a picture of your fat ass. My boxer shorts on YouTube twice. 
That's in video form. That is some horse, horse, <laughs> horse shit. I got a nice ass. Oh my god. <laughs> Whatever. Um, some of our minor characters. Well, not minor characters, but lesser, like the less important from our main ones. We have Lynn Shay playing Mrs. Bruce, aka Sam's mom. I'm gonna run through her. She's like the fifth main character. Like she's constantly showing up throughout the film. So. I'm gonna just like fifth man character. Yeah, I'm gonna. Well, she's uh, she's sort of like the God, the, the, so good the plot MacGuffin. You know, she's the yeah. one who kind of throws uh, uh, you know the chaos into the situation, causes she's the, the great fun in this ride. Movie too. She so hated good. her as a kid. Like oh, I legitimately hated her. She plays the bitch yes. so well. So let's 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 just go down the list. She was in Going South with Jack Nicholson. And John Belushi, who was in the Blues Brothers with Dan Aykroyd, just got busted again. Wasn't he supposed to be in Ghostbusters? There you go. Yeah, he would have. Sad days. Uh, Alone in the Dark with Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau, and Jack Palance. Uh, Here's a little plug uh, to get uh, get, uh, the ball rolling, what's going to happen in February. But uh, somebody involved with Alone in the Dark will be on the podcast doing a full interview. Um, If you want to Think about it in those terms. It will not be an Alone in the Dark episode, but somebody from that movie will be on the podcast, so let the... Uh... Is that the one based on the video game? No. Okay. No, this is from 1982. It's got Dwight Schultz <laughs> Okay, in it. I was about to say, why would anybody want to be... Okay, well, um, Martin, Lan- Martin Landau, Jack Palance, and Donald Pleasance, I'm pretty sure were... Well, Martin Landau's still alive, but Jack Palance and Donald Pleasance were definitely dead when yeah. that movie was made. Um, she was in A Nightmare on Elm Street and New Nightmare, Critters 1 and 2, My Demon Lover, uh, The Hidden with Kyle MacLachlan, a.k.a. Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. You just got lynched again. Stop <laughs> lynching uh, The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, who was in Twins, which is directed by Ivan Reitman. You just got busted again. Oh Pump Up the you. Volume with Christian Slater. Uh, Amityville, a new generation, Dumb and Dumber, King Pill, uh, Kingpin with Bill Murray, busted. Uh, there's something about Mary, 2001 Maniacs, and its sequel, 2001 Maniacs, filled the screen. Snakes on a Plane, Insidious, one, two, three, and four, and probably five if they make it. I'm not really sure. I'm not a fan of those movies. She's also in Chillerama, um, Tales from Halloween. Uh, she is the younger sister of. New Line Cinema founder and CEO Robert Shea. Does it now make sense why she's in so oh. many New Line Cinema movies? I know she's part of the uh, the new Grudge movie too. She's been in the new one. They're rebooting it again. Yeah, not well, kidding. I have zero interest in that. She was dubbed the Godmother of Horror in 2015 by Wizard Comic Con for her contributions that to is the genre. Very hard to argue against out there. Hearing that list, she's in. She that, never got away from the genre. Or was ashamed of it either. You know, and this that's simple. that's just that's just a microchasm yeah. of the things she's been in. Her uh, IMDb list is just she's the consummate like long. lady. Whenever she shows up in a film, like it's her. Normally, we do that with guys, but with her, she just has it a very distinct look, and she looked like the same age forever. She's the Arn Anderson. Of horror. She actually has a, a quote. Uh, you set me up perfectly for it. I may be the only actress in Hollywood who won't need a facelift. When I take off my makeup, I look so great compared to my characters. Because she's always playing yep. like older, kind of grizzled people. And you see her like without makeup. It's like, yeah, she's a perfectly yep. attractive older lady. That wow. being said, her character in this movie... Chain-smoking. The chain-smoking religious zealot who... 
you can't help but just want to choke and shake this woman. It's like, get out of your own fucking ass. It's my mom. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about that. Like, no. oh, we talk about that every episode. Well, no, I mean, I mean, like, my mom straight up believed and probably still does to this day. And something like she, all she listens to is the casting crowns is heavy for her now, you know. Um, but she straight up believed, kissed over Knights and Satan service, and was very upset whenever I got attached to her. I'm ninety percent sure that she thought it was a fad, and I'd have to hide. You know, the CDs that I stole from my dad. Like, I didn't have any CDs for myself until this went on for a few years. And then eventually, like, the wall broke down and she just gave in because it was not going away. I did not get over the fad that was Kiss. It's just... Don't you think that that's sort of interesting and it's sort of specific to, like, Kiss and, uh, like, bands that, like... Metal had... itself. Well, yeah, but I'm specifically, there's just certain bands that, like, it's not a fad. You either love or you hate them. There is no indifference. There is a line, I think it was Scott Ian said, it was talking about Slayer. He's like, nobody ever was into Slayer for one summer. If you're into Slayer, you're there for life. People carve Slayer into their fucking arms for a reason. Well, I kind of feel and like Kiss is the same Kiss way. Kiss is that hard rock band. That's, if you're going to be a fan of this group, you're going to be a fan of them to the day you die. Through the peaks and valleys, and there's parts of this band that I absolutely hate, Tommy Thayer. Um, but <laughs> I will stick with them and I will fight and die for this band in a moment's notice. They are still my favorite band of all time and have been for over 25 years now. Uh, they're, they're definitely in my top five. Um, you know, even with their later oh, output that is not worth, uh, even going into detail about. But one of their high points came on the album Destroyer in the form of a little ditty called Beth. Beth. When at, at that point, which was their biggest single. Holy crap, you're good at this. Like, setting it up. Oh, I, it. It's almost like I've been doing this for <laughs> uh, for a few years. <laughs> Beth was immortalized in this film by Melanie Linsky. Um, she is the you know, love interest for Jam. She's like a very, very pretty girl next door. Like, oh, she's got yeah. that look down. I... I I, I have a thing for the dark haired ladies, and uh, she she does it for me. Um, she was in the Frighteners with uh, Michael J. Fox and Jeffrey Combs. Uh, she was in Coyote Ugly, which is a terrible movie. Fuck that movie. Uh, Flags of Our Fathers, which was directed by Clint Clint Eastwood. Fucking Eastwood, and it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Up in the Air, which is directed by Jason Reitman, who is directing the Shut new Ghostbusters. You just got busted. Um, XX, um, which is one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen. Um, and I've seen Oversex Rug Suckers from Mars, so take that as you will. And uh, more recently, she was in ten episodes of Castle Rock, so she's still she's still working. Um, I started she, watching that show too. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It, yeah, it's really good. It's freaking out there, man. Um, she auditioned for a role in Scream, but didn't get the part. Um, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. Um, Scream is important in the history of uh, horror cinema, but it's not one of my favorites. She uh she gave Kate Winslet her first on-screen kiss in 1994's Heavenly Creatures. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> That's think, awesome. Oh, think about this. In 1994, there was a lesbian kiss. Not just a lesbian kiss, but like a young girl lesbian kiss. Like that's that's taboo like now then and forever. You ever seen Heavenly Creatures? Hell no. It's a good. It's a really good movie. I, I recommend it. 
Seriously. Recommending a lot. Seriously. Check it out. Send it out. Do you know who my wife is? I have about a thousand movies I have to show her before I can move back on to me. So. Well, sometimes you got to take time out for yourself. <sighs> it's hard. Um, reportedly, <laughs> she's really good friends with jo- Joss Whedon, you know, who is uh, a definite power just, player in uh, the movie world now. You have to explain who Joss Whedon is, I, too. I, should, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have to, but... Um, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> Carry on. Um, she's been married to... Jason Ritter, the son of John Ritter, since 2018. Had crazy. had no idea about that, but good for you, man. I, I would uh, very much like to uh, enter up in them guts uh, myself. Um, perhaps if she had seen me dressed as Peter Chris singing her, I this picture still her namesake. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. So you were wasted. <laughs> uh, we were we were both pretty pretty drunk. Oh, uh, uh, we were going through like buying pictures and just downing. It's like four dollar pictures or like that. So it's Halloween night uh, after oh, yeah. a long night of working at the Hardin House, and uh, a bunch of us dressed up like Kiss. Um, you were fat Ace, way fat Ace. I was chubby Peter. And Josh Ebel, to his credit, good friend of the show, he nailed it. He really, he looked like fucking Paul. I mean, I would have fucked he him. He did like he all was... of it, and everything, man. <laughs> and uh, and Justin, you know, he uh, he knocked a Gene out of the park. But, uh, he refused the, the to come giant to, hair. And... He refused to come to the bar with us. So fuck him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I sang Beth, and that was um, the night that Bruce broke the uh, the booth. Oh my god! Yeah, drunk. Oh, you got a strip tease that night too from one of the maintenance guys. Oh my god! I took a picture of that too. That was but a, yes. That you was getting a, up and singing Beth while completely wasted and giving me shit because people fucking you were giving me shit. You were giving Ace Fraley shit. <laughs> okay, where you ever was on Ace? Huh? That was a fun night. Yes, it was. And I, I know I'm in the minority, but I will always be a Peter Chris guy. He's my favorite member of Kiss. And I realize he's not the best drummer, but my God, he had such a great voice of rock. This is going to piss a lot of people off. I would argue he was the worst drummer Kiss has had. Fight me. Well, that I mean... Fight me. Come at me. Send your hate tweets to at Rance Black Lodge. <laughs> I'll let I'll let him, or at Scottimus Huff. Yeah, send him send him there because I don't want to. Uh, that's let's not let's, let's continue on because this is going to be a long well, argument. Let's, let's not send any hate tweets uh, the way of Natasha Leone, who plays uh, Christine, who was handpicked for this role by Gene Simmons himself. You know why she's named Christine? Christine, Christine sixteen, 16 yeah. which is a super uncomfortable song. When people hear it, because I, I have a little story for you. I, I'm oh, playing. I'm playing this at work, just like you know my, don't do my on random, and it comes up. And one of my female employees, who is probably barely eighteen or nineteen years old, just like keeps like jaw dropping. Like, what is this song about? And I'm not even thinking about it because I've heard it a thousand times. Has and, she not heard Seventeen by Winger? Uh, probably not. That song's a lot more direct. But yeah, controversial uh, subject matter to say the least, at least in 2019 terms. Even the song Going Blind is about a really old man having a thing for like a 14-year-old girl or something like that. Or jacking off too much. Yeah, it's... it's That's not that's not what it's about, <laughs> but, but if you jack off too much, you'll go blind. And you um, get palms. Natasha Leone has had a really yeah, impressive career. career. Yeah. So there's not much point in like really uh, going down the... She did this on American Pie the same year, I think. Yeah, she did. Um, more interestingly, though, I found out she was in six episodes of Pee Wee's Playhouse. 
strange, oh, strange dang. world. Uh, she was in Dennis the Menace, um, Slums of Beverly Hills, which is one of her uh, iconic roles. Um, but I'm a cheerleader with Melanie Linsky, who played Beth. So it's weird that like all these people worked with each other in different Very stuff. Very movie, how it all came together. Um, pretty recently, she's uh, she had uh, this show called Russian Doll. It's very popular. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it. I think Brie watched it. Was she in Orange is the New Black? She is. She's in 81 episodes. Yeah. I Brie got really into that show for a minute, and um, it well, was uh, weird for me. I wanted to be really into this show because I'd heard that Laura Prepon had like a naked scene, and I watched it, and I was like, well, that was like 20 seconds of my life that yeah, was I could have now. I could have wasted uh, watching actual internet porn. <laughs> um, um, Natasha Leon was born in Israel, but she she's lived on her own in America since she was 16 years old. She's wow. She, she's fucking legit. Like she's and you got to think where she grew up. Like she fought for what she's got. So I have a lot of respect for her. She's um, awesome. I'd fuck around with. Like she she has. She usually plays like a tougher girl and stuff too. So that comes across very well for her. Um, I want to just kind of crack out real quick um, some of the other people who are in the movie. Uh, Joe Flattery, she, he plays the the priest or the pastor. I'm not really <laughs> sure the difference. Um, and please, pl- please indulge me with this. I know you, you don't want me to bust you anymore, but I just want you to hear all this. He was in 1941 with Dan Aykroyd. He was in Stripes with Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. He was in Heavy Metal, which was produced by Ivan Reitman. He was in 38 episodes of ST says SCTV with Harold Ramis. He was in Stewart Saves His Family, which was directed by Harold Ramis. Um, on and on and on. Um, he was in one of my all-time favorite shows and it only lasted one season firefly oddly enough no <laughs> no it 18 episodes of freaks and geeks oh yeah correct. which is set around the same time as this movie takes place me, I, me and eddie had a conversation about that on one of the concerts it was like i didn't believe there was only one season of that i thought for sure there was at least two or three it it caught on after it was canceled. They they kept putting on in different time slots, and yeah, it's it's heartbreaking because that show That's was so, so much talent, so good. Um, the role of Elvis, uh, the creepy uh, high school security yeah, guard, Miles Douglas, not uh, not that Miles Douglas. Um, Chongo was played by Matthew G. Taylor, and Chongo's little brother. I want to know more about Chongo. Was played by Cody Jones. Well, that guy's a, got a look. That he did. He should have been a star. Do you know who he should have been? He fucking should have been Flash Gordon. Oh Dude, my god! Do, he's not like a yeah. dead for Flash Gordon. And apparently, he was an athletic track star in high school, according to the movie. So, well, he he definitely that guy's huge. He looks the part. Um, a little bit of sad news. Uh, one of the more iconic side characters, the scalper in the movie, played by Richard Hillman. He's he's no longer My with us. Absolute favorite side character. That monologue that he gives inspiring Hawk to go shake his wee wee is one of my favorite <laughs> Ugh, that big he's talking about big breasts and tight vests, my friend. Talking Detroit Rock City, brother. Shake your wee wee. That little oh gets me, man. I love it. If I make a shirt that says "Shake Your Wee Wee" on it, I would fucking. I'd buy the whole closet. My wife would hate you. 
Well, More than she does already. Speaking of uh, shaking your wee-wee, this movie... Nikki? Uh, no, no. You didn't no. track Nikki? No. He was a big character, too. Hear me out. Damn it. We, we talk about shaking your wee-wee. Um, I think this movie <coughs> has a little bit of sex appeal, but I think it could use a little sexing up. Sex it up! Sex it up! Whoa! It's got a wiener! You, you want to sex up a, a, about a, a movie about a, a band that has a song yes. called Let's Put the X in Sex. Take it off. But, uh, but, but we're going to do it. Hard. We're going to do it. Hard. We're going to do it through the lens of Shannon Tweed, who is now married to Gene, Gene Simmons. Simmons. Long chased relationship. I've been dating off and on since like eighty seven yeah, or something like that. Quite, it's crazy. Quite a long time. So I thought this would be kind of fun, a little different than what we've done before. Alrighty. I'm going to list off movies that she may that may be real and they may not be real. And based off their titles, I want you to say on your perception, whether or not you think they're real. I've never or seen... Not. I didn't even realize she was an actress. I just know her from Playboy. Oh, well, um, for those who are not in the loop, she made a lot of Skinamax movies, and that's why this is going to be interesting. Oh, so let's, let's, let's see Let's see if you can pick those out. She was in a movie called Lethal Woman. Real or fake? That's got to be a lethal weapon knockoff. Is it real? It's real. Hell yeah. Cannibal women in the avocado jungle of death. Real or fake? There's no way that's real. It is real. Oh my fucking god. The erotic adventures of Zorro. Fake or real? Oh, come on. That's gotta be real. That's fake. No way. Last call. Real or fake? Real? That's real. Okay. Night Eyes 2. Real or fake? Not real. Uh, It's real. She wasn't in the in the original though. Well, so the original was better, I'm sure. I I, I don't know. <laughs> if I saw these movies, I wasn't paying attention to the plot. <sighs> sexual response, real or fake? Real. As real. Sexual misconduct, real or fake? That had to be the sequel, so real. It's fake. God damn it. <laughs> Ravaged weekend, real or fake? From your face, I want to say real. That's fake. Oh my god! Indecent. Did be- you come up with these fake ones? Maybe, oh, yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. Indecent behavior, real or fake? Real. That's real. I've heard of that one. Illicit dreams, real or fake? That's real. That is real. I've seen that one. Bodacious Broads 3, real or fake? No. It's not real. Okay. Victim of Desire, real or fake? No. It's real. Son of a bitch. Body Chemistry 4, full exposure, real or fake? Real. That is real. No way to come up with that one. Intercourse correction, real or fake? Real? That's fake. Oh my god. Homeboys in outer space, real or fake? Please let that one be real. It's real. Oh my god, I gotta find that one. (laughs) Homeboys in outer space. Alright, human desires, real or fake? Real? It's real. Naked lies, real or fake? Oh god. Fake. No, that's real. Son of a bitch. That was really basic. Forbidden uh, sins, real or fake? Real. That's real. Scandalous behavior, (coughs) real or fake? (coughs) Real. It's real. The Rowdy Girls, real or fake? That's gotta be fake. That's real. Oh my god. The Naked Detective, real or fake? (laughs) 
Is that real? No. Okay. <laughs> Sex, marriage, and infidelity. Real or fake? Real. Yeah, that is real. We love cheating stuff. You did You did fairly well. You should put checks and minuses. Did you come up with those names? I did. Oh, my God. I, I, I said it at work one night when it was slow, and I had a lot of fun doing that. Oh, my God. All right, let's ju- let's knock out some general trivia, and then we'll get to our fan questions, and we'll uh, call Christmas three uh, adieu. All right, a little bit of general trivia. Detroit Rock City holds the distinction of being the first film to be released on DVD before it was released on VHS. And what I mean by that is, like, they, it got released on both, but they released the priority was released on DVD before VHS because at that time it was that weird in between area. I remember yeah. that area. So I mean, it, it was easier to produce. When on you could get the DVD. combos, and they were expensive as shit back in the day. The original cut of this movie was over three hours long. I need to know where the fuck is this footage. You can't find it anywhere because I've seen it with the commentary. I've seen it with the the directors. I've seen it with Kiss's commentary. There is. I have never heard of there being more footage and well, seeing it anywhere. Well, there is, um, but it is probably in the new line. Burned vault. that shit. Probably no, like no. scrapped it and burned it. You don't need it. No, no, it's that's pretty, what they did with a lot. That's what Dylan Cinema did with a lot of things, uh, Jason. But yeah, but this is this is the nineties. There was a lot more film preservation going on. This 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 footage is out there somewhere. So hopefully I someday it'll be. It. The uh, the woman with the brown curly hair and glasses is uh, Pamela Bowen. Uh, you can see her in She's the scene, the stage with a yeah, where they're crochet. they're uh, protesting Kiss. Yeah, well, that was Paul Stanley's wife at the time. Um, they are obviously His life now is way more attractive. Yes, uh, they are. They are not together anymore. Actually, uh, Paul and his wife just celebrated their anniversary in the past uh, couple of that. days. A couple of days ago, pretty lady. The church that was chosen to be shot in uh, shoot the the scenes. You know where they they fuck. Yeah, <laughs> for the lack of a better word. <laughs> um, they they got allowed the permit to shoot there, but once <coughs> the church found out what they were going to do there, they revoked it. So well, they had to like go and scout kind of on last minute to find a church. Like, hey, can we have two people pretend to have sex in your church? And so they found one just in time. I can't believe they didn't just shoot the outside and then do it on a studio. Well, that would have cost money. Oh, well. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's easier. <laughs> so they actually, whoa, they used a real confessional booth? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Rock and roll! <laughs> that, oh, I love this movie more. The words, fuck. Fucking or fucker are said 83 times in the movie, securing its R rating. I'm not going to tell my wife that. I'm just going to make her play a drinking game with even wine. Well, uh, it was nice. No She's not going to listen to this. <laughs> uh, be all right. Nobody will tell her. You know what? Fuck you, Bree. You should be listening to this. <laughs> really good stuff. Um, the Kiss Pinball Machine in the convenience store was loaned uh, to the movie production by a local fan. I fucking knew it. Because I was wondering, like, that looked like legit real, not like a repop or anything, but... Yeah, that's my dream item. And um, the uh, the poster was designed by artist Phil Roberts. I want to take a little detour from the this journal trivia. Let's like just, the the poster, the, the, the poster, the poster. Yes, let's talk about this for a second. Movie posters in the nineties sucked. This is one of the best movie is, posters of the nineties, if not of all time. It is my, probably arguably my top three. But the thing and this, the first two that spring to mind when I think of posters because they are. That poster is a picture in time of what was happening. And then you have the guys running around. It's, it's very much like a bad, 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 bad world. That kind of design. It's just I a, love that poster. It's timeless. It's just a beautiful piece of artwork on top of everything. It's I mean, almost like a uh, 
a mad drawing. Yeah. It very much really yeah. is sort of like in the very ma- character mad, of mad, everybody. Mad Magazine are cracked. It was so beautiful, and I love that poster, and I finally got one. Thank you for my beautiful wife for letting me buy it <laughs> and framing that mofo. Um, there is a fictitious company called Blumps that is in, uh, used in most or if not all of Adam Rifkin's films. Uh, the po- the portrait in the advertisements is a rendering of his grandmother. Um, you pointed this out to me watched the last time. I did. Um, it's just a fun little in-joke. <coughs> and one last thing of trivia. Jason Biggs from American Pie, he has a blink and you'll miss it cameo in the movie. He's wearing a red tracksuit, uh, and he's got like some really uh, swanky brown kind of mullet. I can't exactly point out to you where he is in the movie, but I did go and uh, find it in, in the movie, like when I was doing my research, and, and sure enough, it's actually him. It's, he's there. I'm going to watch that blinking, blinking, you miss Give it. Give me a reason to watch it again. I dare uh, you. Well, I'd, I've, I've watched it twice in the in the past couple of months, so... <laughs> So it's got great uh, closing value. All right, let's get to our fan questions. We got some good ones. Um, this comes from Kevin Corville. Which of the main forecast was the most fun off screen? Well, I mean, we weren't there, but if I, I if I had to guess, probably Edward Furlong because he was all the drugs at the time. He was very much living the rock and roll lifestyle, and even though like um, James DeBello was sort of the avatar for Ace, let's just be honest. The one living like Ace was Edward Furlong. I would say Led Shea was the most fun to have. Sure, she partied a lot. She probably has some really good stories. Oh, I'd love to talk to her just for a little while. Yeah, she's she seems like a great lady. Shout out. Uh, let's get you on the podcast. I, I would love to sit down and talk uh, stories uh, with her. So, the Ran Army, if you know how to get in touch with her, let's make that happen. She uh, she has a question. Uh, how much actual weed did they really smoke while filming this? I looked into this trying to trying to find out whether or not they... There's there's a type of, like, prop weed yeah. that they, they use. Um, and I know sometimes they, they will actually smoke weed on movies. Grandma's Boy is the best example of them smoking real weed. Yeah. Holy Lord. But I couldn't, I couldn't find this out. Um... I'm sure there was definitely some uh, smoking some weed in the trailers, so yeah, I'm pretty sure. The there... only scene I would be kind of questionable is the car scene, whether they start smoking and passing it because it real weed looks like very different than that stuff. I promise, but that's the only one that I can kind of see. That may have been real weed. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll. We find that out. We'll uh, we'll bring you some more information on that. Um, this comes from Stink Dick Eddie. Oh hell! Is Satan and Santa the same person? It's the same letters. It's the same freaking guy. <laughs> it's the same freaking guy. <laughs> Thank you for taking that one. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay, this comes from Michael Groves. Um, thoughts on a sequel with the same cast members and current Kiss lineup? Let me let me take this one. Current Kiss lineup, no. Plus, it also wouldn't make sense uh, from a time frame because age-wise, it wouldn't match up. However, if they took that same cast and and made the movie now about the 96 reunion, reunion tour, I'd be on board to see you that. You have their kids, so you can have the, uh, their kids would probably be in high school then. Yeah, it could be like a whole thing of them like trying to be like, oh, you got to see Kiss, and then kids you know, don't want to, but the end of it, they do. And yeah, then have them be at the uh, 
the very first show was Tiger Stadium, and they started out with Shout It Out Loud, and that was iconic, that first moment. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a perfect pitch. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm creative on, a, on occasion. Would it happen, though? Not in a billion damn years. No, no fucking way. Um, simply, simply on the fact that they'd have to work Tommy and Eric in there, and nobody wants to see that shit. Um, this, uh, this. Uh, speaking of Tommy Thayer, this question comes from fucking Judd. Fat fuck Scott. Oh hell! Why is Tommy Thayer your favorite member of Kiss? I'm about to make him or her a fucking widow. Is what's about to happen. <laughs> You just got married. It's already over for you, buddy. Yeah, congratulations to Fat Fuck. Uh, I'm Fat Fuck. Fuck. Sorry. Fucking Judd uh, for uh, for finally getting married. That was a joke question. This is a real question from fucking Judd. What's the difference between a muffin and a cupcake? Your fat ass should know. Cupcakes have frosting. Muffins don't need it. And they're usually more filling because they're like more of a denser bread. You know, it's funny because I, I told him exactly the same thing. He just wanted to call you a fat ass. Oh, okay. All fucking right. Judd. <laughs> this, um... This question comes from Kenny Flip and Travis. God, I was hoping you'd skip his questions. How beat up is Amanda Finch's snatch? Now, if you need to know who Amanda Finch is, that's Shannon Tweed's character in the movie. I'm guessing probably pretty beat up. I'd be willing to do some research, though. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind some uh, first-hand on-the-subject myself. Uh, I mean, in the movie, she's still... Got it going I mean, we've seen on. her recently. Yeah, yeah she's damn, still, she's still really. The attractive. surgery worked really well for her. Oh, it didn't work for Gene. No, not even a little bit. He looks like a fat, bloated Jewish lady who ugh, and he used to look, died six years ago, and he used to look like a skinny Jewish lady. So there was what a, a time off. when he looked okay when he still had the, when he was trying to do the beard and stuff. That was fine. Revenge era, but when he was clean shaven in the eighties, he was fugly. <laughs> Mm. Especially like around um, the era, era of Asylum. Asylum is the first one that pops in my head. Fringe gloves. Oh. All right. There's one last question coming from Fat Tony. Honestly, even though I don't care for Kiss, this movie is great, and I can relate to it. What are some bands you would follow? Would you would go to any length to see live now? Or uh, let's just say all time. I'll uh, I'll go ahead and name mine while you're thinking about it. Queen, without head, yeah. without any reservations. Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and or a Deep Purple uh, with any of the original three lineups. Um, Mach One, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm, Rainbow. No, Deep Purple. Oh no, not Mach One, Deep Purple. Too. Even even Mach Four with Tommy Bowling. I would do two, three, and four, but I would not do Mach One. Not to, like, go to these lengths to see them. No, no. I mean, it would, it would have been <sighs> legendary. They were, they were still a great band. Go ahead. Um, uh, Dio. I, I never got the chance to see Dio, and I'll always bite myself in the ass for Slash that. Heaven and Hell. But, uh, you know, that's 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 mine. Mine would probably be Queen. Oh, David Bowie, addendum to that. Kiss in the 80s with Eric um, and Bruce. I would go these lengths again. <laughs> Pantera, probably at the beginning though, like Cowboys from Hell, vulgar display. But I want him still with his uh, hair like that. No, 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 no. You mean the beginning? No, 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 no. Terry Glaze, none of that. No Diamond, uh, Diamond Dave, Diamond Daryl, Diamond Daryl. Sorry, 
Diamond Dave is my. Oh, wife's by the name. way, I saw Pantera Live. They were, they oh were yeah, great. what year did you see them? That's what matters. I was on reinventing the Steel Tour. Yeah, so it's, it was. They were still really good though. Well, no shit. Nobody's gonna talk. Well, some people would, but that's not peak Pantera. Um, that's more than you got to see. Burn. <laughs> so Pantera Queen, eighties Kiss, probably the top three. Um. But that would change if you asked me an hour from now. So well, I'm not going that's to. That's hard so stuff. Shut it's, the fuck it, up. It's, it's, it's Shut set, up. Set in stone forever. So there, I think that's going to bring us to a close. Uh, Detroit Rock City uh, from 1999. Um, it lives on in the in the memories of us metalheads, and I think uh, it's a perfect representation of the passion that a, you can have for a band. And uh, and I kind of view it through the lens of that of being a fan of Kiss, but also just a fan of, of film in general. It it kind of me- melds the two things. I love probably more than anything in the world. It's a movie that I have watched for the twenty years now, and I'm going to continue watching it for twenty more years. I will. My son loves the movie, so it's going to go with us forever. I love this movie. Well, we'll hopefully uh, pass it on to another generation. Uh, Please, all you out there in the Rant Army, don't forget to follow us on social media at Rant's Black Lodge. Buy some fucking t-shirts at rantarmy.com. That that, uh, boner ad, uh, I get a lot of uh, positive feedback from it, but you got to buy some more t-shirts and uh, I'll make another one. It's a a roundabout circumstance. More content, you got to give me some money. What do you do for money, honey? Well, I'll give you some more content. That's what happens. Uh, (laughs) Subscribe to the podcast on one of the many providers we're available on, which includes iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Player FM, iHeartRadio, and don't forget to stop by our Homepage at JuicyKruger.com. For Fat Fuck Scott, I'm Brandon A. Lane. We'll see you in the next month, Ran Army. It's gonna Merry be- Christmas! Merry Christmas. We'll see you again in 2020. Till then, keep marching.